you're tuned to The Trail Show. Get on the trail! We're talking about dirt, mud, blood, and guts. Can nobody fiesta? It's The Trail Show. Bam! Ah! Featuring Lawton Disco Grinter. What the hell are you two doing, Mike? Felicia P.O.D. Hermosillo. What are you girls doing up here? Mike D'Lo DiLorenzo. Yeah! Junaid Special 41. Daoud. I don't think you need to tell a funny pop if you got some of them little brandy on the little nub-nub or something or something. And now, broadcasting live from Boulder, Colorado, it's The Trail Show. Whoa, yes. Whoop, 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 whoop. Arriba, arriba, tota. Arriba, tota. Coming to you live from the Bobby Walter Studio in Crested Butte, Colorado. What? Historic Beer District. This is The Trail Show, and we are live in Studio 3B at our Gunnison County Telecasting Complex, ladies and gentlemen. Awesome. The Trail Show is a monthly mashup of all things trail and has been downloaded over three-quarters of a million times in 150 countries across the globe. We are on air, on demand, and heard worldwide on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Google Play, and at thetrailshow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, they were taping a special across the hall. Here to panel with us in studio once again after a five-year hiatus. What? Angel Herod Rigatoni, a.k.a. The Noodleheads. Ooh, yes. It's awesome to have you guys back on the show. I don't know how it's been five years, but it has. Time flies when you're not I feel like it was yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) When you're not listening to the show. I'm proud to be back. Also in studio this month, he was taping a special across the hall. Porn. We have former guest and current seeker of Colorado's highest 100 summits, Mr. Mac G. Thank you, everybody. Give it up for one nut. Oh, P.O.D., how what? dare you? You've already started that. This is Come why on, I what? did not want to sit by. What, what kind of way is that to welcome your guest? That's my way. It's nah, the P.O.D. way. Of course. Also in studio this month. What? She was taping a special across the hall. Back again, once again, it's Katie Salty Gerber. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thanks for coming back on, Salty. Glad to be here. We've got some uh, food questions for you later. Yeah, we do. So get ready. Awesome. I'm and ready. we've got some lots of salt tonight, too. Oh, Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. Last but Too bad Dilo's not here to get upset. She was taping a special across the hall. We have Julie Nania, who is the water program director from my former employer, the High Country Conservation Advocates here in Crested Butte. Julie, many thanks for guesting with us tonight. Thanks for the beer. Oh, anytime. <laughs> it's it's really cool to yeah. have someone from HICA in studio. Yes. This is a first for the trail show, so we are stoked to have you. Happy to be here. All right, P.O.D., do you want to set the table sure. for today? Sure, sure. We've got uh, a big trail show announcement. Hey Very now. exciting. We've got a conservation interview, of course, here in studio. We're going to uh, get a new person on trail news this month. He's got sweaty palms over here about his trail news. Uh, we got a salty snack. We're going to talk about trips. We've got a new audio clip from Moongood, which is very exciting. Some news. Uh, the Needleheads cool. have a trail tip for us. We're going to do a media review. We've got our we are. mailbag. We've got Ask a Hiker. The Noodleheads have been collecting questions for the last five years. We're going to go through all of them. <laughs> um, and we've got, you know, our ever-important gear review. We've got beer, you know, shenanigans, donors, what harassment. 
before we get into our... Oh, should we do Beer of the Month? Sure. All right, I guess it's time for... Mike DeLorenzo's <laughs> Beer of the Month. P.O.D., take it away. Take it away. Uh, okay. P.O.D., take it away. <laughs> We've got... I think it's High Alpine Brewery out of Gunnison. It is. Uh, we have their Kolsch and their... Hazy IPA. Hazy IPA. I'm drinking the Kolsch. I'm drinking the Hazy IPA. It's delicious. Yes, the Kolsch is good, too. And nutritious. Yes, that's right. So, uh, yeah, we just uh, got some beer from them. We thought we'd keep it local. We got our local, you know, conservation people here. We thought we'd keep the beer local. So, yeah. And we want to thank Trail Show Nation for tonight's beer. Yes, because it's coming from the donors. You all got us a couple growlers. That's right. Thank you for that. All right, let's get right. Oh, before we start the conservation interview, we should mention the T-shirts, people. Announcements, announcements, announcements. All right. It's been a long time coming. We haven't sold T-shirts here at the Trail Show since, uh, I think, 2014 is when we killed mm-hmm. our Cafe Press store. And we've had some requests. You guys asked, and we're delivering. Uh, PUD and I are modeling our new shirts this evening. We'll post some photos on the the gorgeous. Oh, thank you. We're going to porky pig in our shirts and post some photos. No, 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 no. We won't do that. Okay. But, but what Sorry. I want to tell folks is that shirts will be for sale for two weeks only. Two weeks, P.O.D. <laughs> two weeks. Mm. November 13th through November 26th. Does anybody Ooh. know what November 26th is? It's a Monday. Do you know what Monday? Don't know. Come Monday. Cyber Monday. Oh. <laughs> it's Cyber Monday, people. So you'll be able to buy T-shirts from the 13th through Cyber Monday, and you'll get them by going to our partner's website. We've partnered with bonfire.com. So if you go to bonfire.com slash show between November 13th and the 26th, you too can get a fantastic Trail Show t-shirt for they 20 bucks. great stocking stuffers if you have one of those great American oversized stockings. And I tell you what, MacGyver was asking me earlier about the quality of these t-shirts. And you want to touch it? Touch it. T- yeah, go ahead and touch, touch it. Touch it. I've touched his. I'll touch yours. Oh, it's it's a it's a sixty forty cotton poly blend. So it's not. It's kind of soft. It's not like a hard scratchy cafe press terrible shirt. No, 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 no. We can't. We can't talk too much Sorry. trash about that. Please. I'll do it. Let's separately. keep it civil. Um, Let's keep the discourse civil. That's not my. That's not my forte. <laughs> uh, there's a. It's a. It's got some nice stretch. It's pretty soft. Um, it's and it's not thick. I hate thick T-shirts. They're so gross. The, the ones P.O.D. and I have on are gray, but we're likely going to offer a couple of different <gasps> colors to be decided. <gasps> but you will be able to get the charcoal. Will I be one. able to get Trump orange? You will not. Okay. That will not be an offering. Maybe next time. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, after, the, after Cyber Monday, the shirts will no longer be for sale. And I don't know if we'll ever sell shirts again. So this is sort of a, at least for 2018, this is a one-time thing, people. And we got the holidays coming up. So you should probably buy 10. I'm probably each. I'm definitely yeah. getting one. Oh, it sounds like a money-making yeah. opportunity for someone <laughs> just to buy 100 <laughs> well, or 200 uh, of oh, them. Oh, and then stockpile them? And then, and then oh. put them on eBay. Like next year? You know, just Why if, would you say? How, well, actually, we're okay with that. If, yeah. if somebody wants to do I'm something like that. I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> and then sell them for like $100 a piece next $25. year. $25. And then you'll end up selling zero. But, you know. <laughs> anyway, um Check out bonfire.com slash the trail show and get your trail show t-shirt today. All right. Now we're going to do our conservation interview. Okay, let's do it. 
with Julie. We've got um, this is really cool for me because I used to work for High Country. What well, back when I worked for them, they had a different name, but we won't confuse people. It's High Country Conservation Advocates. They are a local conservation organization here in Crested Butte, and I had the privilege of working. Um, for HICA in their public lands program back when I was there 10 years ago, people. 10 years ago. It was like my last year in Crested Butte. So anyway, you guys are near and dear to my heart. I'm stoked that uh, you all are on the show. So, Julie, if you don't mind, could you just kind of tell folks who HICA is and like what your mission is and what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, actually, we were founded... 1977. And the whole reason we got started was because of a giant mine fight. Yes. So I don't know if you remember the Save Red Lady chants. Of course. Oh, yeah. I think sure. we're sitting in a house that has Red Lady prayer flags I, outside. We have Red, flag, Red Lady prayer flags in and outside of our house in Salida. Amazing. Yep. Yep. So that same fight was against a big molybdenum mine. So back in the 70s, some of our still core members started this organization to oppose that development in our headwaters. And now we work on a range of different things. We try to pretty much protect the beauty and the health of our public lands, waters, and wildlife in this valley in Gunnison. Okay. And you are the water program director. So can you talk a little to us about what you do specifically? Yeah, pretty much all things water and environmental related. Um, I work a lot on water quality. We have a history of mining. Um, we have some kind of historic mines that, that have given us some issues in this valley. So we try to clean up that water a little bit through the courts and also through working in collaboration with um, cleanup projects. We also do a lot for in-stream flow protections. Um, in Colorado, you can actually dry up streams unless you have legal protections on those or water okay. rights. Yeah. And so years like this that are kind of super rough water years, it's pretty important to have minimum protections for fisheries. So I try to go out there, collect some data, and, and establish those legal rights for the creeks. Oh, okay. And you mentioned, um, right out of the gate, you mentioned Red Lady. That's the mountain that sort of sits and overlooks Crested Butte. Um, what is the current status of the Red Lady fight? I mean, and, and what people should know is that um, that mountain is full of molybdenum. Did I say that right? You nailed it. Okay, excellent. Or Molly, if you want to... Although Mo everybody. Yeah, Molly means Molly has other meanings. Different things yeah. in the city. <laughs> so we'll go with molybdenum. So yeah, what is the status of the Red Lady fight? So we're actually at a better place now than we have been in a really long time. Right now we are uh, working with Freeport to clean up some of the historic mining on that site. And who's Freeport? Freeport is a giant kind of international mining company okay. that we invited in when the old owner of that property started pretty much down the path towards bankruptcy. Okay. Um, so there's a big wastewater treatment plant up there, some nasty water that kind of drains into that, and we needed somebody who was solvent. So we teamed up with the county, the town, um, a coalition of local groups, got together, talked to the government, and said, hey, can we proactively approach these guys? They used to own it when it was AMAX back in the day, and get them to take this back over and, and help us start that cleanup. Um, they were kind of in the chain of liability. So we've actually started to clean up some of that historic site, and there is a memorandum in place that says that the company does not intend to mine, and we are trying to come up with a permanent solution right now that would move that property out of kind of mining company hands and into a protected land status. Okay. Wow, that's, that's awesome. 
yeah, it's pretty exciting times. Still a lot of work to do, but yeah. we're at a better place than we have been in decades. There's a ton of conservation work that happens here uh, in Crested Butte in the Gunnison Valley. There's tons of tiny organizations that are all doing their small part and very focused. I'm just curious if you guys um, partner with any of the local other local conservation groups to do any, um, I know you're doing water conservation and things like that, but like if you're doing anything with regard to recreation or trails or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, partnerships are a big way that we get things done. We live in a small town, but we're lucky to have some good resources. Um, I think for my line of work, the Watershed Coalition, Coalition is a great resource. They're actually the ones that get the data. They tell us what we need to know about how our local water is doing and, um, we try to work with them to figure out what needs to be said and, and how to advocate for better protections when we need to. Um, but with the recreation, that is a fabulous question. Um, we've seen some pretty unusual spikes. So, for instance, the Slate River, we used to have a few locals that would sup that, maybe, you know, six people on a big day in June. And that's recently gone up to about 300 folks a day. What? Whoa. Yeah. Oh, my that's God. That's an impact. It's a pretty big impact. And we've got this super unique, one of the highest altitude heron rookeries in the U.S. up there. Oh. Um, out by the wild bird community. So that was kind of an issue that coalesced a lot of local groups saying, hey, we've never dealt with a recreational issue quite like this before. Um, we think we probably need to do something. The wildlife seems to get a little upset and the herons are flushing and that's a big impact. So we convened a group of about 28 different local stakeholder groups and for six months kind of sat in a room together and talked through some of those issues and, and came up with a watershed management plan to try to alleviate some of those impacts and, and help manage our rec impacts on that resource. Okay. So what, what did you guys do about that? Just, just out of curiosity. So we're trying to do kind of a voluntary and educational closure during the really sensitive time for the herons. Yeah. Um, turns out they're, they're delicate little birds. They like their privacy. Uh, Are we talking about like great blue herons here? The, the GBH. It's kind of like RBG, but the bird world. The, yeah. the largest herons in all of North America. They're fabulous. They look like mini pterodactyls. Yeah. Those guys. Okay. Speaking to recreation, we had talked a little before the show you guys do, um, Hicka does a little bit in regards to like trail work, trailhead, campground stuff. Like, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, we've started recently also kind of building these partnerships to, I guess, remediate or clean up some of our more impacted lands. Um, some of our river drainage, people love Crested Butte. Everybody who comes here wants to camp out our valleys. Yeah. Um, and poop. They also want to relieve themselves, if you will. <laughs> so will. I will. <laughs> yeah, we've started um, trying to convene these these work days in collaboration with some other local organizations um, like C- CBMA and the the mountain biking authorities, the Forest Service, kind of a range of different groups to do cleanups, but also to sponsor things like porta potties. Super basic, but they help keep the poop out of the water. Yeah. That's a great solution. Ew. So, Julie, why should people in Colorado or in the West care about water? What is it about water that's so important for us to, to be thinking about? I mean, I think everybody who's schlepping water as they're listening to your podcast gets this question. And that includes beer because uh, water or beer is 95% water, people. So this includes all of you. Key fact. I'm going to start incorporating that into our outreach. Yes. yes. I mean, water is our most finite resource in the West. Um, if you look at kind of our city landscape, 
It's interesting if you look at those maps, most cities tend to spring up along waters for good reason. That's where we support agriculture. That's where we support all of our industries. Um, Las Vegas is, is the only exception. So it needs just, to be blown up. How dare you, P.O.D.? There's a book on that called The Water Knife. It's, <gasps> the Water Knife? The Water Knife. Okay, interesting. Yeah, written by a guy who lives right over Kebler. Oh, but, oh Craig Childs? Yeah. Ah, I have read The Secret Knowledge of Water. But oh. I, I didn't know about the water knife. But we're gonna have not, to review uh, that. Yeah, we're gonna have to read it. Or Paul, no, sorry, Paulo. He cites Craig helps him with some of his research, I believe. Okay. So I think it's Paulo. We'll look it up. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll post a link. Definitely something at the local bookstore. Okay. But yeah, water is by far our most important natural resource. I mean, if you look at what's happening with the West drying up and climate change, um, we're definitely seeing huge landscape area impacts. Uh, we're drying down our aquifers pretty severely, and we're going to have to start really focusing in on how we manage that resource because yeah. pretty much we live in a desert in the Colorado River Basin, and it's definitely not a resource that we can just tap into to something else. So what's going to happen here in Colorado as our population continues to increase? And you've probably seen the projections of how much Colorado's population will increase over the next 10, 20 years. The water won't increase. So how does that math work out? That is actually something that the, we just started this. This is kind of a wonky name, but a Colorado water plan to try to figure that out. Um, okay. We're growing and also we're looking at a situation where we might actually have to meet some more of our downstream obligations and send some water to some of those lower basin states. So we're going through a huge planning process right now in the state. Um, where we're looking at watershed management planning and trying to figure out how can we maximize this resource, but also protect our watershed health and make sure we can use it for the things that we love, like including recreation, including things like agriculture or snowmaking in this valley. Oh. And we're actually really diving into that process locally as well. That's another one of our big projects we've got on the plate is um, doing full assessments of this basin in the East River watershed and trying to figure out Pretty much how can we maximize use and, and how can we do projects or, or work collaboratively to restore some of the areas we've impacted so they're more resilient moving forward. Where do you see most of the water waste in Colorado? That's a tricky question because I, I feel like when I went into this field, I had a really clear, I knew who was wasting water and I, I knew where it was going. Um, it's a complicated one. For instance, a lot of folks look at flood irrigation, and, and there definitely is some unnecessary evaporative loss, that kind of thing, but it's also something that contributes to our later season return flows. So sometimes when that natural hydrograph is dropping, we can actually get some benefits from earlier flood irrigation. Hmm. Um, that said, there are some really basic things for our domestic users that I think like water reuse. Oh, yeah, let's get into this because I'm thinking like, you know, our audience like is thinking like, oh, these things are so big picture. Like, you know, what what can people do on the on the individual scale as far as water conservation goes or bettering the situation? So I think the two things that that I would say, and I'm going to kind of invert that because I think first okay. is we're doing all of these planning processes. Participate. It's actually really important for folks, um, especially kind of the younger generation to weigh in and say, I know climate change is impacting our hydrograph. I really want you to start managing water in a way that looks at that. Um, so first off, participate in your local processes whenever they spring up. 
But also all of those things that, that we learned in grade school actually do make somewhat of a difference. When we look at growing demand and we look at municipal water use, which is a small piece of the pie in the overall picture, but is something that our cities are really dealing with. Well, one of the easiest ways to meet that municipal use is through things like throwing a brick in your toilet, updating those appliances. Uh, lawns kind of suck. And so, so when you say throwing a brick in your toilet, you mean in the, in the, the tank. tank? Yes. And no, don't just throw one at your toilet. Yeah, yeah. Do the... it, it don't put it down the hole and try no. to send the trail show the plumbing bill because we don't need that. No. No, MacGyver, MacGyver does. Yeah. I mean, he's con- concerning because apparently he doesn't flush ever. Is what we found out from staying oh, with him. Man. Number one, number have, two, doesn't matter. I have a one week rule. Oh, house. why, <laughs> why? Con- I please. Conserve. So anyway, yeah, you could put a brick into the tank of your toilet, which basically takes up space that water would as it's filling the tank. And it doesn't seem like much, but how many times a day do you flush your toilet, right? And then how many times a week and month and year and over over the course of a year it adds up. I've right? also seen those toilets that have the. Um, on the top, they have uh, the little water spigot, so you can like wash your hands, and then it goes down into the tank. Oh yeah, well, you I, know, yeah. Those I've seen those before. Those are kind of cool. Those are pretty cool. Totally. If it's mellow, yet it, let it. You yeah. know, if it's oh, yellow, if it's totally. let it mellow. Wait a minute, that's it. Yeah. yeah. If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. If it's brown, leave it around for your guests, right, <laughs> MacGyver? They have those toilets too that have the number like one or two. Yeah. And I kind of like that you get done, and you kind of have to size it up. <laughs> you, have like, you have to be like, well, it wasn't number two, but I'm thinking that's a number two for sure. You know? <laughs> but other than putting a brick in your toilet, what else were you saying that individuals could do or should do? Well, if you see things like water reuse pills, um, okay. right now we can't use gray water, which is kind of that water when you shower. Um, we can't repurpose that for a lot of things. And there's some good reasons they want to regulate that. They want to make sure the water is healthy and is free of diseases and contaminants. However, um, we're getting better at reprocessing that. So if you see legislation that is sponsoring reuse, um, support that legislation. That would be a huge way to meet some of those municipal needs. And I th- correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in Colorado, each individual is legally allowed to collect two 60-gallon drums of rainwater to, for their own use. Is the that- rain barrel bill. Yeah, what- yeah, it's slightly above 60. And um, Okay. That's a great initiative that was sponsored by Western Resource Advocates, and and we promoted it here, too. And one of the reasons they did that was it's a great way to actually see kind of what your water use is doing when when you've got a garden and how productive that can help. But also it helps kind of clue folks into, well, if I want to have Kentucky bluegrass instead of native landscaping, how does that kind of impact how much water I'm using? Um, Because actually irrigation happens in cities, too. It's interesting, um, PUD and I are getting ready to move into a, a housing situation where the water rights are such that we're not allowed to use any water that comes into the house outside the house. So we can only use water coming out of our faucet inside the house. There's no landscaping in the neighborhood right. at all. But So excited. But we are allowed to have two 60-gallon drums that collect rainwater. In case you wanted to have a garden or grow something. Yeah, yeah, so... My goal is to set that up and make that happen, but we're also going to need... Go for it. We're, we're actually going to need rain. <laughs> That's true. In, in That's 20, true. 2018, there wasn't a whole lot of rain to be had in, in Colorado, so it was a pretty bleak year. Yeah, do your rain dances. Yeah. Put that on the list. How can people get involved in HICA? There's a lot of ways to get involved. I mean, one is obviously, it's always great when folks donate and show their support that way, but um, we really appreciate it when folks weigh in and engage in public comment. 
Um, we've got a website, hccacb.org. And often we'll be talking about kind of policies or issues that are going on our public lands, in stream flow petitions you could get behind, new initiatives in Colorado. And we really ask that people weigh in and add their voice to those issues. Um, if you've hiked through an area or on a trail that you love and you want to weigh in on protection of that area, we're going through forest planning. That is a great way to get involved. If you love the GMUG National Forest and, and have had a cool experience here, go to our website, check out how to weigh in on the Forest Service process and, and offer your input. Get involved, people. So do you, do you find that um, anglers, like local anglers and, and outfitters, fishing, fisheries, are very involved in, in the um, conservation? Yeah. So when I talk about this watershed management planning process, um, part of assessing the health of our watersheds is getting input from those folks that are out there on the landscape. Um, they let us know what's going on. So we actually got, unfortunately, this summer was a particularly rough one. We had one of the, the worst drought years in our history in this basin. Oh, yeah. I got a call every day about a new dry up, a new fish entrainment. Um, they're really clued in because they're the folks on the landscape and often do a lot to, to support our in-stream flow proposals and kind of speak up whenever there is an issue. What's that a fish them. entrainment? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> fish love creeks. They also sometimes think that irrigation ditches are creeks. Ooh. So they will swim up them, and they don't know that those get shut off sometimes. So they'll get stuck. Is that just it for the fish? They just meet their maker a little bit early? <laughs> kind of. I mean, right? A lot of, lot of photos of dead fish this summer. Oh, that's a bummer. That's what they call netting season here. Netting season. Netting season. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> and it's that's you know one of the things with the watershed management planning is those guys are using their rights and their their legal rights so sure. sometimes some of the things we do is try to do some screening or try to work on fish passage if it's in a creek or try to basically mitigate some of those impacts and, and work with folks locally to see how we can do that creatively i was with an, a 40 year 40 year crescent pretty much an old codger and they sort of took me under their wing and they we were talking about water and things like that. And, and he basically ended up saying to me, he goes, if there's one thing you learn about living in the West, it's that money both flow to water. <laughs> and I didn't really, I just like nodded and I didn't really know what he meant. So is that I like don't, a, is what, that what a, did he mean? Is that a common refrain <laughs> in the water? I think if you, if you take the out of it, then yes, uh, water <laughs> flows towards money is, is the way I hear it most. But that's, there's some legitimacy to that. I think one of the things he was talking about is, is we've got these two big issues. Um, agricultural buy and dry is a thing. And that's when municipalities that are growing look to buy up farmlands. Um, the value, kind of the cost of water for them is comparatively cheap to buy up agricultural water than to try to conserve water. Also, we've had a series and a, and a long history of fighting transbasin basin diversions. So what those are is when front-range municipalities try to buy water from the western slope and import it, pump it over oh, the yeah. divide. Yeah. So that totally removes it from our basin. And um, actually, one of kind of the most famous trans-basin diversions was also in this area. It's the Union Park battle. And um, HICA fought that in collaboration with the local Water Conservancy District. And we were fortunately successful. But those do come up time and again. And actually, we do already send a portion of our water over to the front range. There's only going to be more and more people in the front range that need that water. Or maybe maybe need's not the right word. Maybe just use that water. 
Yeah, right? and one of the things we always try to, to say is, you know, a lot can be met through conservation, especially for if you look at what municipal needs take. Yeah. Um, really, there's a lot of room still to conserve. Reuse would go a long way. Um, and there are some alternative ways to get at that that's not just kind of buying folks out. Okay. I feel like we could talk to Julie all night about water, but we've got to move on. Julie, is there anything else you want to get out there about your work or about HICA before we uh, move on to the next segment? Uh, I think we're just talking to a crew of folks that are passionate about the public lands and great outdoors. And um, right now, the public lands, we cannot take them for granted. They need everybody to weigh in. They need everybody's protection. So whatever it is that you love about them, find something you can do to, to speak out on their behalf. You can join HICA if you would like. The website, again, is hccacb.org. Uh, you can get your membership right there. Julie, thanks so much for guesting with us tonight. We really appreciate it. And best of luck with your work at HICA. Thank you. And it's an honor to meet a former soul queen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah should, right. we should mention, <laughs> P.O.D., this is your, your realm. It's true. You were the former queen of soul, right? I was one of, it's not like I was the only one. I was she one was of many. She was Crested Butte royalty. I was Crested Ooh. Butte royalty. That's correct. I'm now just a retired old bag, but... Julie is the current reigning Queen of Soul, which is pretty exciting. And P.O.D., I actually know this. You were the Queen of Soul in 2008. Oh, okay. That's when you were crowned. That's when I was crowned. And here we are 10 years later, 2018, with the current Queen of Soul. That's pretty awesome. It's like you're combining P.O.D. and Disco (laughs) because you work at HICA. Yeah. And you're the Queen of Soul. That's right. Which if, both of them if they did. They had had a baby. Your love ago. child from right. another you, dimension. Yes. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know what to say. My mind just wow. exploded. Okay. Yeah. It's true. All right, Julie. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Let's get right into Trail of the Month. We've got a special Trail of the Month this month. It's not actually a trail, it's going to blow your mind. It's called TGO Challenge. A lot of you have heard about it. TGO stands for The Great Outdoors challenge it's in scotland it's coast to coast and we have a trail show listener and longtime supporter that has done tgo three times i believe we'll ask we'll him ask him let's get craig gully on the line peace go what a guy go. should we play a prank <laughs> on him rig i think we should <laughs> should should rig and i be there yeah since he doesn't know us peace go Hello. peace go disco how are you my friend <laughs> very good Craig Gully, in the room tonight, we've got Rigatoni, Kiki, MacGyver, Present. Salty, and P.O.D. How are you? And oh Woody. Woody's here, Very too. Very well. Woody Thank the you. Dog. Yeah, we also have Woody the dog. He's our mascot for the evening. <laughs> you do mean <laughs> Well, I have, uh, I have Sam and Thunder roaming around here somewhere. So. Oh, excellent. So we've got a full house tonight. Indeed. Okay, very good. <laughs> so, Pisco... You, my friend, have actually done our Trail of the Month three times. Is that correct? That is correct. And it's called TGO Challenge. Briefly tell Trail Show Nation, what is TGO Challenge? Where is it at? And anything else that you think would be good as far as an overview? Uh, okay. So let's see. TGO Challenge. So it stands for The Great Outdoors. And it is named after the Great Outdoors magazine, which is uh, pretty much a cross between outside and backpacker. Okay. Uh, And that's like the foremost uh, outside magazine in the UK. 
And uh, it was, uh, this is actually going to be the 40th year of the challenge. So it was uh, first walked or uh, first organized in 1980. Hmm. And it is uh, an organized walk across the width of Scotland from the West Coast to the East Coast. Sounds girthy. Uh, Well, not exactly. Um, Scotland... To give the uh, Trail Show Nation some perspective, Scotland is the same length as Colorado, but only a third of the width. Oh, um, wow. Okay. So it's, a, it's about uh, 150 miles across. Uh, it's a if wee you would bit go uh, directly across as the crow flies, but uh, you don't, so it's longer. And now, so, what's the challenge? You, you walk across it? You know, it sounds like it's not on any trails, it's just. You just go for it, or what? How does it work? Yeah, so Scotland is pretty unique uh, in the fact that it has this right to roam law, uh, which pretty yes. much it, it it pretty much negates private property. What? How is that yeah. possible? Yeah, how is exactly. Pisco? How is that possible? If you if you let people roam across your land in God's country, they might get shot. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. If you could if you could imagine uh, simply going out for a walk and no longer being concerned about uh, private property, fences, uh, walls, uh, walls, fields. um, Yeah, it's it it is very, very unique. And that's really what makes uh, any walk, uh, especially the TGO in Scotland, possible is because literally you can spread a map out. And uh, is it nine or 11 locations that uh, you can start from on the West Coast, small little villages, small towns. And it's actually very well organized. So you can't just start anywhere. You have to start from one of the established places and you have to actually sign out. So the organization, uh, the, the organizers can keep track of you. But imagine, if you will, that you just spread a map out. Uh, of Scotland, and you went, this is interesting, this is interesting, this might be interesting, and you just create a route, and you walk from point A to point B to point C, seeing what you want to see, and, and climbing the hills you want to climb, and not really having to worry at all about who owns the property, uh, or you know your legitimate reason for being there. Pisco, are you telling me that our trail of the month is actually not one set piece of single track and that you actually get to choose the route that you want to hike. Yeah, that's exactly right. Imagine every May in Scotland, 360 people setting out from the West Coast in every imaginable direction uh, to arrive somewhere on the East Coast two weeks later uh, and not having to worry about uh, where they go uh, and where they sleep. Now, you, you've done it three times. Have you taken a similar route? Have you started at the same place each time, or have you done different things? Oh, no, completely different. So oh. we, we have taken completely different walks across Scotland. So you, you mentioned 360. Is that just a number that you made up, or is, that, is it limited to the number of people that can start the trail? Yeah, that's, that's actually the, the number of people. So, uh, again, it's, it's kind of unique. Every October... Uh, you get an entry form. It comes inside the TGO magazine, or you can get it electronically now from the organizers of the TGO challenge. Uh, but way more than, f- I think this year, 
500 maybe people uh, uh, put their name in the hat, basically filled out the registration, sent it in. And then there's a lottery drawing. Uh, the first year we did it, uh, and that was historically the way it was that 300 people were chosen. But I think in 2016, they upped it to 360 people. So let's say you want to do the TGO challenge with two of your best buddies. Mm -hmm. And let's say, do all three of you need to put your name in the hat? Or, or does just one person get to put their name in the hat with the caveat that they, if they get selected, they get to bring two others? Like, how does, how does that selection process work? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, so the group leader fills out the registration and puts in the number of people in their group. And then if the group leader is picked, then his group comes. Ah. Why do you assume that the group leader is a he? <laughs> I'm sorry, P.O.D.? Why do you assume that the group leader is a he? Ah, very good. Yes, the, the person <laughs> who is the group leader. Just kidding. <laughs> mea, mea, mea culpa. And, and is there any fee associated with the application process or only if you actually get chosen? Uh, there is a fee, but it's only if you get chosen. It's, it's about $100 per person U.S. Okay. Roughly. Yeah, I, f I forget what the entry fee was this last year, but I don't think it was. I don't think it was more than a hundred dollars uh, U.S. But you know, for that, again, that it's very, very well organized. You have to actually fill out a route sheet. So what you do is basically once you're accepted, and actually people work on their routes all year round. It's 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 very addictive. There are people who've been on the challenge now. Uh, 25, 26, 28, 30 times. What? Um, the 40 years, they're kind of challenge legends, and uh, they just keep doing it year after year after year. But oh you have God. to fill out a route sheet. So when you're planning your route, you tell the organizer – you know, what, what direction you're going to go, what landmarks you're going to go by. Uh, and there are some established trails. There are some established bridleways and pathways and, and, and dirt roads, Jeep roads, you know, those sort of things that they call them, uh, you know, obviously Land Rover tracks, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing through the hills. But you give landmarks or grid locations for every single day. And if you're planning on going up high on the hills to what they call the Monroes or the Corbett's, which are which are hills around 900 meters or 3000 feet, uh, then you also have to give a foul weather alternative, an FWA. Hey now. Uh, so uh, if if the weather is bad, then you'll take a low route. Uh, and again, they'll track your progress and the organizers actually stay holed up in the Finnish hotel in a little town called Montrose for two weeks. So you have to actually call in four times. You have to check in four times across Scotland. And if you don't check in, they will send somebody out to look for you. Um, in which case it would be very embarrassing for mountain rescue, you know, or the local, you know, police to, to try to come find you, uh, if you don't check in when you're supposed to check in. So it's very well organized and they take very good care of you and you're not just left under, uh, up to your own devices. So when you're done with your route, you have to actually submit it to a group of experienced Scottish 
hikers, which they call vetters. And those vetters know Scotland like the back of their hand. And so they will look at your route and they will make suggestions like, hey, you know, this bridge is out because I was there a couple of weeks ago. You might think about going this way or, you know, this way is is, you know, a lot of road walking. And so maybe there's an alternative, but this they'll look over better. your sheet and then they'll sign off on it. Oh, that's and before I forget, uh, Craig, the website is tgochallenge.co.uk. Hi, Pisco Rigatoni here. I haven't gathered yet it, it, with the challenge name. Are you resupplying or is this, a, you know, just carry it all and try to get to the end? Oh, no, it's, it's, it's definitely a fun-filled resupply. Depending on what route you choose, you could take a high route into the hills and be alone for, you know, maybe four days, five days at the most, but you're always going to encounter small little villages and small little towns. So you can either send packages to hostels uh, or you can resupply. It's, it's really funny. They have uh, these little uh, grocery stores in Scotland called spars, which are nothing more than a grocery store inside a two-car garage huh. in some cases. Okay. So, when they're open, the garage door is kind of up or there's a door, you know, kind of built into what we would would think of as a garage door. Or there can be just they can be small little grocery stores like you would encounter maybe back in the yeah, back in the 70s or, you know, early 80s at, at like your local, you know, like your local corner shop. Uh, but you can you can definitely resupply um, uh, along the way. And we never really carried more than. You know, my wife and I have done it together, and we've never really carried more than four days worth of food. Okay. Yeah. So are, are town stops or, and or bar stops encouraged or discouraged by the organization? Oh, d- definitely encouraged. The challenge, the challenge is a combination of um, wilderness walking and socializing. And because Scotland is – the way Scotland actually – uh, or the trails or the mountains, the way Scotland is actually configured, there are natural funneling points uh, along the way. So regardless of which of the small villages that you start at, a vast majority of the people will actually get funneled into two or three of the larger towns along the way. And those become, you know, those become real party spots. Now, I have to say, though, when I say real party spots, the average age of the TGO challenge this year was 58. What? (laughs) So I have to say that that it is one of the reasons why my wife and I like to go and do it, because it's it's literally hiking with our age group. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. I think the oldest challenger, actually, uh, Lou and Phyllis. Oh, goodness. What were their... Uh, yeah, Lou and Phyllis Laborwit, which they were actually from Maryland. They did the challenge. I think their last one was 2015 when we met them. But they have each done the challenge like 15 or 16 times. Wow. And they were 85 and 83. That is f***ing impressive. Yeah. Pisco, yeah. salty here. Uh, do do people usually do it as individuals or in groups or both? And then also, is it competitive at all? 
it is is not competitive unless you're talking about how much whiskey you can put down, you know, at the at the pub in the evening, or how many how many beers you can actually consume in the in the pub in the evening. So it's not competitive in any way. There's there's no timing other than the fact that you have to be done in the two week window of the challenge, okay. uh, in order to get your T-shirt and get your certificate. Is there any uh, obligatory could, eating of haggis? <laughs> uh, yes, there actually is obligatory eating of haggis. Um, oh. but, but you can do, uh, you can, and actually haggis is very good these days. It's not your typical boiled sheep's stomach, you know, filled with, you know, barley and rice. Is that um, what it is? Yeah. Uh, haggis is sheep stomach stuffed with meat and barley. Hey, now uh, that, <laughs> good Lord, man. But they've actually turned it into a delicacy, and you know they they charge a lot of money for it as an appetizer, and it's it's actually quite good these days. So, I've had it I've had it a couple of times just to to say I did it. Although we had it, um, not to get off the subject, but we had it about 35 years ago when my wife and I uh, honeymooned in Scotland, and we had it the traditional way, and it was horrid. <laughs> it, was, it was really it was really really bad. Uh, now I'm going to get all kinds of emails from my Scottish friends. Uh, but to, <laughs> to, to answer Salty's question, you do both. Um, so you can have groups of, you know, three or four people walk together the whole time. But most of the time what happens like any through hike, you'll start out individually or in your small group. You'll catch up with people. You'll pass people. People will pass you. You'll meet up in the bar and continue right. on, you know, together for a little bit. The romance starts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, only, you know, be careful of the romance with the sheep and the Highland cattle. <laughs> uh, I mean, so, so Pisco, I'm curious, you know, you've done TGO three times. What's the average length of your the trips you took? Like, how long did it take you to go from one side of Scotland to the other? We always time it to end on time. So, you know, we'll take short days and long days to take the full two weeks because it, it takes, you know, it takes a considerable amount of effort to travel there. Yeah. Um, you, it, it's, Scotland is not an easy place from the United States to reach. Uh, actually, it's gotten a little bit better with American Airlines uh, has now started a direct flight, a direct flight, sorry, from Philadelphia directly to Glasgow. But we've done really? things like St. Louis to Dallas to LaGuardia to Heathrow Ugh. to Glasgow. Ugh. You know, we've, you know, we've been bounced around in the three times that we've done it. But we take the full two weeks, so we'll take a you know a seven mile day or a nine mile day, and then we'll do a you know a fifteen mile day or an eighteen mile day or you know something to to correspond to it. Our three trips have been a hundred and seventy five miles, two hundred and twenty miles, and then a hundred and eighty five miles. Okay, just depending on how you weave up and down the country and what you want to see. Do you spend a lot of time looking at the map and figuring out a fun new route to do? Yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, when I, when I did the first TGO challenge in 2000, we did it in 13, 14, and 18. And the first year I did it in 13, is it 13? I'm sorry, 14, 15, and 18. The first year we did it in 14, um, I didn't know about any uh, mapping software for Scotland, so I ordered all of the OS survey maps 
which is basically like their National Geographic maps, uh, very detailed, you know, uh, one twenty-five thousandth, uh, Whoa. and. Uh, spread them out in the living room, tape them all together. Oh uh, my God, that would be fun and, for uh, me. Yeah, and 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 went, you know, and went, you know, this is interesting. This is interesting. We'll go here. We'll go here. We'll go here. Um, being somewhat from, you know, obviously hiking in the U.S. mostly, I tried to, you know, I thought you had to stay on the dotted lines that represented, you know, known trails and mm-hmm. and known kind of things. So, you know, our first trip across was pretty traditional, some high stuff, some low stuff. But then, you know, once I was there and met everybody and and figured out, you know, what was going on, then there was a mapping software that came about uh, called RootBuddy, which is actually done by a couple of guys in Scotland. Um, And it's it's it really is a good mapping software for the UK and Scotland. And and it's much easier to do it now uh, looking at it electronically than it was looking at the uh, OS maps. I'm curious, is there anything that could possibly disqualify you from TGO Challenge while you're on it? Um, you, you can't have people come with you that didn't get into the challenge for more than a couple of days. You can't bring your dog. Um, uh, no dogs, huh? I wonder, wonder no, why. No, no dogs allowed, uh, mostly because of sheep. Okay. Um, there's not really any rules per se, like national park rules about dogs or anything like that in Scotland. Um, but May is lambing season. And so you need to be cautious, even though you're allowed to walk through fields. A lot of times those fields will be locked, you know, and, and you're asked to go around. It's not like you're, it's not like you're told to go around, but you know, the whole right to roam rests on the fact that you're a good, uh, uh, Samaritan, that you're a good uh, uh, shepherd of the land. Um, you, you can't, you know, you can't roam across an airport. You can't roam across a military installation. You can't roam across uh, the queen's grounds uh, <laughs> if she's present uh, in Scotland, in Balmoral. But other than that, you know, you, you know, you pretty much, as I said, you can go anywhere that you, uh, that you want to, but you need to be, uh, you, you just need to be respectful. And so the lambs are one things that you need to be very respectful because they do have a lot of issues during lambing season with dogs running free and killing the, the new lambs. Oh, geez. Oh, my God. So we can't have a talk about hiking in Scotland without talking about the weather. Scotland has notoriously bad weather I'm curious if that has been your experience hiking in May in Scotland the three times you've done TGO. Yes and no. Um, I'm actually a really good omen for weather. So when I go on hikes, uh, either by myself or with my friends, uh, I notoriously bring good weather. So it's oh. really it's really good to take me along on your adventure because you're you're pretty much uh, you're pretty much assured of a, a good weather window. So the three times we've been over there, the weather has been, you know, in Scotland standards, uh, good. And this year in 2018, there was almost two weeks of blue skies. As a matter of fact, it, it never rained on us once during the day. And it was actually hot. Come it was on. actually in the mid 80s uh, on a couple of days there in Scotland. But 
to, to answer your question, which is what everybody wants to hear, yes, I have been, we have been on days where it has uh, uh, rained, uh, sleeted, and snowed, and sunshine all in the same day, all at the same elevation. That's insanity, man. Yeah, and the, and the bigger insanity is May is sort of there. Uh, it's still, it still can be very cold there, but if the midges come out, which are like little noceums, yeah. they are they are absolutely they will drive you insane. So they're biting midges, is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, they 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 seek out every mucus orifice Ugh. they can find. Do oh they say God. the expression? They are in your eyes, <laughs> These and midges your nose, are and your ears. <laughs> do they say that? Do they say, uh, Craig? I don't know if you're Kiki. Do they say these midges are bitches? <laughs> these midges are bitches. Yeah, they 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 can be pretty. Uh, they can be, you know, for one ounce. I, I think uh, we only encountered midges uh, one time, and that was uh, our first trip to Scotland. And you know, for one ounce, I always throw the head net in just for sanity's sake. Uh, Pisco, Pisco, this is Angel Hair. I I have just one request for you. Let me hear your best Scottish accent. Uh, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. I'm from the Midwest, so I... <laughs> Come on, man! <laughs> oh, uh, I'm so... Dis- there has accents, to be... But I, I, could do the, uh, I could do the old SNL skit, which is, uh, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. Okay, <laughs> good. We'll take that. Can you Scott, do it? I have a, when I think of Scotland, I think of mist. Is mist play a role... It, it does. Um, you can very easily be on the, you know, they, they call the, the tops of the hills, you know, just the tops. But you can very easily be on the tops. And uh, it was quite it was quite fantastic walking up the side. You got great views. Then you get to the top and literally in 30 seconds, you're now walking in a complete whiteout. So uh, it's it's very, very easy to be, you know, in, in a total mist where you're glad, quite frankly, that I'm glad now that I have GPS on my phone. <laughs> Out of the three TGO hikes you've done, have any of those hikes taken you by Loch Ness? And if so, did you see Nessie? Uh, yes. Uh, we, uh, uh, Loch Ness, uh, Fort Augustus is one of our favorite little towns in uh, – in Scotland, and we have been through there a couple of times. Uh, no sightings of Nessie that I can report uh, uh, personally, but to stand at the shore of Loch Ness and uh, and just look out over over the hills and and that little town is is wonderful. It is a beautiful, beautiful place. Pisco, is there anything else you want to get out there about the TGO challenge before we move on? Uh. No, I, I just think, you know, the, the, the challenge is basically, you know, for, uh, for the most part is to design a route and then, you know, to walk it from one side, um, remaining as relatively sober as possible. But the people <laughs> of the challenge are just outstanding. I mean, it, it really is a, a great community of people. Uh, and, and Scotland itself, uh, we have never met a rude person uh, in Scotland. And that's a pretty broad statement, considering we've seen probably more of Scotland than most Scots have. But uh, uh, it's an absolutely fantastic country to walk in. And I, I'm guessing that because you've done it a few years now, 
there's probably a community of people, you know, just like with the long distance hiking community that you see the same people. If you do it a lot, you'd see the same people every year and maybe form some of those more lasting relationships. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, during the, during the year, cause I said, as I said, most of the people that are sort of addicted to the challenge plan their routes and think about their routes all year round and, and even have multiple routes, you know, for here's one for this year, here's one for next year. And there's always a, you know, where are you going to be on night three? Where are you going to be on night four? You know, kind of thing. And, and, you know, you'll try to plan, um, there is a certain uh, there is a certain challenger who's done quite a few uh, that uh, has helped helped us in the past, and they have actually established a wine and cheese party Ooh. Uh, in the hills. So it's always the first Thursday. It's the it's the Thursday of the first week, uh, and they'll actually announce the grid coordinates where the wine and cheese party will be held. And, you know, all comers are welcome to bring, uh, you know, goodies and, uh, and camp at that location and enjoy the, uh, the, the uh, impromptu wine and cheese party. That's awesome. And, and then there is a uh, band, which we discovered in a little town called Aviemore. Uh, the band, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, uh, Kaylee band, uh, and it plays on the second Thursday uh, they play every Thursday at the Cairngorm Hotel in Aviemore. A uh, little little shout out to the Cairngorm Hotel. But uh, um, they play every Thursday, and we always end up being in Aviemore or try to be in Aviemore uh, the second uh, in the second week on a Thursday to see them and get a rest day and you know spend the night in a hotel and get a shower and that kind of stuff. So it sounds like registration for the 2019 TGO Challenge happened in October, so that's already come and gone, correct? Yes, yes. There's been a big announcement, and I've been, I've been looking at all the people saying they got in, they didn't get in. There is a wait list. So for some reason, if you don't pay your fee uh, or you need to drop out due to you know, whatever reason, then there is a, there's a wait list uh, for people, and they'll you know, uh, um, contact you to see if you, you know, want to go in whatever order they picked your name uh, from, the, uh, from the draw. Excellent. All right, folks, the website is tgochallenge.co.uk. Craig Pisco Gully, thank you so much for coming on tonight to talk to us about your three walks of TGO. Great. Thank you very much. And thanks for being a Trail Show VIP monthly donor. <laughs> yeah, thank yes. you, Pisco. We appreciate thanks, it. Pisco. Uh, no worries. Oh, uh, that's awesome. All right, man, have a good night. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. You too. All right. Stay out of your cups. <laughs> we'll do <laughs> <Unlikely>. our best. <laughs> All right, man. See you. Bye-bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Craig Pisco Gully. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. No, that was pretty cool. It sounds yeah, pretty cool. Sounds yeah. so fun. fun. Yeah. I love that it's not a race at all. Yeah, it's no. not. It's non-competitive, I guess, except for the beer drinking um, <laughs> Perfect. that happens. Haggis eating. <laughs> and the haggis eating. Thank God that's not competitive. Not your mother's spotting. haggis. All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we've got MacGyver with Trail News. So don't, don't go anywhere.
Troll Show, the less gear, more bear. Where's the Budweiser? It's the Giggle Bear. Turns out these guys are a bunch of Sam Adams corporate sellouts. While Harry Cowrie just got to call Fooey on you. Out of the one, out of two, out of three. Well, thank you, Brute, uh, for the great promo. I didn't understand most of that. That was Harry Carey, P.O.D. Hi. I know. I know who it was, but I just didn't. Kiki, what do you think about his impression? Hi. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> if he was cheese, I would eat him. I could sure go for a Budweiser right now. Okay. We, we have to be serious. It's time yes. for Trail News. And we've got... Someone new doing trail news this month, MacGyver. So he's who, probably going to mess it up. By the way, little for all you trail show historians <laughs> out there, MacGyver was last on the trail show in November of 2015 on show 42. It's been a while. It's been three yep. years. It's been three years. No, I thank you for the heads up this time. <laughs> yeah. Could we last time I just came to see you. See you guys. Goodbye. And, and we could also uh, thank the work release program. Yeah, we can. Yes. We can. Mm-hmm. And we're glad you... Uh, Followed all the rules of your probation violation that I appreciate uh, it. worked out. So, are anyway. you allowed to vote yet? He is. That, you know what? That what a good segue. Because <laughs> in he just has to stay two hundred feet away from all schools. Wait a minute. Hold up. Keep let going? me let me hit the music. <laughs> and with all the news is fit to be heard, Mr. MacGyver, take it away. Okay. And speaking of voting, um, how many of the trail shows listener voted? Uh, we all voted. We, we voted. All and everybody here yeah. voted. Good. good. Woody, 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 did you vote? Woody, Woody voted twice. He did. He did. <laughs> He's like a Mexican. Mm-hmm. Okay. Vote often. So Patagonia, as a company, endorsed two candidates for the first time in history. Ooh. Generally, you know, CEOs or other high-ranking officials or people in companies will do their endorsements, but as a company, they chose to endorse John Tester of Montana and Jackie. Rosen of Nevada, and they uh, they backed him because of their dedication to conserving uh, public land, and they both won. <gasps> yeah, both I was going to ask about that. I noticed great. that Montana was last time I looked at the results that wasn't finalized or something. Yeah, they call both race, and, and those are both Senate races. For those of you who don't know, yes. and yeah, both both of those candidates won their Senate races in those states. And they, yeah, they were very. The Montana was like 50 point something to 47 and the Nevada one was 50 point something to 45. Wow. The uh, Montana guys, just out of curiosity, not that it matters. Is he a Democrat? Yes. They are both Democrats. Wow. I mean, I assumed that he was, but I just think it's interesting. You know, you start to look at the electoral map and everything and how things are changing. And uh, not to say that one party is better than the other, but when it comes to conservation, um, it's just interesting because I feel like Montana has been historically very red. You know, it's interesting too because both those states have a lot of public land. Yes, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm sure is why Patagonia was interested in. Yeah, both for sure. Those races. Absolutely. So that's good yeah. because that means that the people of Montana as well are seeing some sort of benefit in the conservation and protection of their public lands and perhaps the recreation industry. You know, that's very we, good. We traveled in Montana this summer, and it was amazing the amount of John Tester signs up in Bozeman, for example, and, uh-huh. and Whitefish, and 
that I mean we that's all we saw was tester signs, none huh. of the other yeah. uh, guy signs. Wow. Well, I mean there's a lot of you know, there's a lot this actually lead into my next part here. There's a lot of um like outdoor industry uh companies that thrive, right? People live out there like hunters and, and fishermen and you know, uh, ATV and snowmobile, snow machine, depending on where you live. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, they live and die by the amount of uh, tourism and public land conservation up there. So. Recreation dollars. Mm-hmm. It is. And uh, so, yeah, so that, that, was, that was important for both. And uh, John Tester, he, he was in office. He kept his seat. And Jackie Rosen actually uh, um, upseated a Republican to take that wow. Senate seat. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and okay, and also on that in politics, the uh, see organizations from across the country, regardless of their political affiliations, such as in Montana, uh, they're calling for everyone's best friend and mine, Zinke, to get his together and reinstate the budget to the Land and Water Conservation Fund before the year's end. So on September 30th, uh, they allowed that to expire. This is the time of year where um, Congress is taking their winter break and they're gone for a long time. They come back, so a lot of stuff might just kind of just float on by. You know, they don't have time to vote for it. So they're back in session November 13th for only a few weeks. Yeah, so, I mean, let people know. Let your senators know you need this Land and Water Conservation Fund back in are they going to vote place. on it again? Is there any... They, um, they can, yeah. Okay. But it, it, ultimately, Zinke, he's the one that can bring it back. So they, you know, he's talking about reinstating it, but it's, you know, it could just be fluff. Correct me if I'm wrong, and, and you know, don't let me get too far ahead, but don't you have some news about Secretary Zinke? Well, apparently that's not, has not been confirmed. Yeah, that, yeah, that was not. Okay, so we're not we're not gonna. Yeah, we should discuss it. So, uh, Rans. Wait a minute, should, is this breaking news? It's breaking news. So, coming to you live from Woody's living room, I'm here with some breaking news. So, Rand Snyder, who is a trail show listener and a wildland firefighter, basically has a direct link to Ryan Zinkley. Ryan Zinke. Really? Is he, is he like neighbors with him? Yeah, or? they're they're. Um, well, Zinke thinks they're BFFs, but Rand's we're, just like an inside spy. We're not going to get Rand in trouble by saying whatever you're about to say, are we? No. He forwarded me an article. Oh, it's just an article then? Yeah, he didn't make okay. it up. Now, this isn't hashtag fake news, right? Well, I mean, most news is fake news, I think. Okay, very good. Uh, so anyway, he forwarded an article to me this morning, and there's some rumors on the internet that Zinke is going to be out because... There's too much scandal and around him with all of the misappropriation of funds and specifically that damn four hundred thousand door or whatever four hundred thousand dollar door that he purchased or whatever. So there's some unconfirmed rumors on the internet that Zinke might be on his way out. But I'm sure and I'm sure Donald Trump will appoint someone much more um Reputable? Know, reputable Wrong. you know. That was brought up today after I, I read that article, and, and he was, uh, Trump did address it. And when they asked if he was going to be fired, Trump said, no. Oh. Okay. No. So, Believable. but yeah, right. I mean, he, this is a guy you can believe, right? So, so as, as of Friday, November 9th, he's still Secretary of Interior. Yeah. As of last time I looked into the news. Okay. So we'll just leave it there. Yeah. Rand, keep us posted on anything you hear. So, but just to, uh, to give you an idea of how much money. That fund brings in to 
keeping our public lands and, and water uh, maintained and safe. Uh, so since September 30th, then uh, there's actually a counter online, of, of oh. a continuous counter of how much money is not coming in. Is not coming in, yeah. So since September 30th, as of probably about 11.45 p.m. last night, uh, it was close to $97 million <gasps> in, in lost federal funding oh my for God. state and local park conservation. That's a shame. Wow. So fe- federal, state, and local. Okay. So, yeah, so that money trickles all the way down. That's a lot of fancy doors. Yes. Well, is. I'm sure the government's using it for great purposes. Right. right. Yeah. Smashing mugs. And Operation them. Faithful Patriot. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, that was the the crickets. I don't know why they would come in right then. Okay, please continue, my guy. Okay, so and trill and stop me if you've heard this. Long time fan, first time listener. Long time listener, first time caller. Dear Casey. So, uh, let's see. <laughs> so a um, uh, two person team from Wyoming has the first, as far as, as it's been known, documented traverse of all fifty peaks along. The Continental Divide's Wind River Range. Oh, Whoa. I haven't heard this. I didn't know that. Those are gnarly peaks. Yeah, so um, real gnarly. So the uh, the the fifty link summits took them fifteen days, covered one hundred and sixty seven miles and one hundred twenty six thousand feet in gain. Oh and my loss. god! <laughs> my Boy. god! So that's yeah. impressive. And who who was the team? Who, who yeah. does it say? Elsie, uh, and last name is. Streck, S T E R C K, and Ryan Burke. So, wow. and they're, uh, they, I know she, she grew up in the foothills of the Wind River Range. So she was always curious. So, and she's also a um, photographer as well. So the pictures were pretty impressive. And it was, there was a lot of rope to travel involved. Yeah. Oh, I bet. It's crazy back I mean, there. Wyoming's highest peak is in that range, Gannett Peak. Gannett, yeah. I think yeah. Gannett's pretty tame, though, compared to a lot of those. Oh, I'm sure. Those peaks are gnarly, man. Yeah, you got to have some skills. Cowling. You will appreciate this. Uh, one of her quotes to what aided in her success to the uh, completion of this is... <gasps> the trail show? <laughs> close. Oh. The more you know, the less you need. And when she was talking about her gear. Oh, so she, she light. travels light. Yeah, because she carried her camera gear and everything else they needed. So. Damn. Wow. That's Congratulations. A good, that's a good that's quote. Cool. Interesting. I yeah. like that. Maybe we can get her on the show. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. That'd be great, actually. We'll, we'll task you with that, McGovern. We'll take, we'll take a look at it. Okay. Yeah. In other uh, trail news, Dana Meese. Did you say that right? Who that? Yeah. He is, uh, he's an Edmontonian. Did I say that right? That sounds Just, good. Yeah. Uh, okay. um, so he is, uh, he is only 90, as of yesterday, only 150 kilometers, so we're talking about Canada, 93 miles, away from finishing, from becoming the first person to finish the completed Great Trail in Canada. This it's is like 4,000 kilometers, 4,000 no, like miles. 24,000 kilometers, 14,912 miles. The, long, the longest now continuous trail in the world. He, you have to cross water, too. I didn't think that the was... The very end, yeah. I didn't think it, that was doable. They, like, what? He's, so, he's almost done? He, but, but he, it was, it's, it's been worked on in segments and completed in segments, but they just completed it, I think it was last year. Was when they actually yeah. made a, a contiguous trail. What was the gentleman's name again? Dana. His last name's M E I S C. So. Well, we're gonna M-E-I-S-E. go ahead and task you Mice-ke. with also Mice-ke. getting him on Mish. the show. So. so yeah. Was it one fell swoop? Mice? No, no, no. He started in. Uh, he 
He started 10 years ago is when he started doing it. Good gravy. So That's still, I mean... It's 15,000 miles. So Yeah, yeah. 15,000 wow. miles. That's and many U.S. long trails. And, yes. it, and it goes through yeah. all 13, you know, prov- the pro- 13 provinces of Canada. And when you look at it, it actually starts low and then goes up high, yeah. loops around, then comes down and across, <laughs> and it does cross water at the end. It's not a straight line by any means. No. No, yeah. I mean, just even aren't there giant lakes and... So um, I remember looking at that trail and just thinking, how do you navigate some of the areas it goes through? That's amazing. I know, and it's uh, it's it's funded um, by the Canadian public and by the government. So the government, the Canadian government, will actually donate fifty cents on the dollar for public donations. Ooh. Oh, really? So, so it's a matching, like kind of like a oh, that's four hundred one k partial yes. matching. That's pretty awesome. cool. Four hundred one km. And so, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so he, he would have been, he would have been uh, done, but on, uh, so he's actually not done yet. So you, you may be able to get a hold of him when he finishes. Cause <gasps> what? On Nove- breaking news. That could be breaking news. On November 2nd, he was traveling down, uh, downhill, slipped, and got a concussion. <gasps> oh. So he was, he had been taken to the hospital, woke up in the hospital, and so he's still going to continue and finish it. And he, his quote was, you know, the... The only thing that's bruised is my ego. <laughs> so, yeah. Got a lot of good quotes tonight. No, no, I'm a quotable guy. Well, aren't you <laughs> quoting other people, though? I, yeah. Oh, that's still quotable. Oh, man. What, what just happened over here? There's a dropage. I think a beer was. <coughs> so, um, yeah. So, anyway, he said, he said, he, said uh, he could be as, uh, on the trail as early as, as this week. So, okay. Uh, or next week. So, um, yeah. But, uh, and and his, his purpose of hiking it is to bring attention to the trail. Itself. Yeah. So yeah. And cool. to have an FKT. That's right. <laughs> an FKT and an OKT. An only known time. <laughs> right? He's the only guy. He's You're the right. only one. Yeah. You're so right. yeah. That's, okay. uh, that's amazing. He must have had a lot of lonely hours out there. Jeez. In ten years, yeah. So yeah. I wonder where he went to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he was if Canada? He, I wonder if he took a gun. I wonder if he read wild. Where did he take showers? <laughs> Where did you buy groceries? How do you eat out there? Where? Angel, I'm sorry. An, no, no, Angel, Angel here. Bear she's canister. the queen. She's the queen of segways. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next? You know, the bear. The bear question is a good thing. So maybe we, you can get him on here and we can talk. All right. What so, else do you got, Mac G? Okay. So, Germans. Oh, Was willst du sagen? Let's talk about Germans. Yeah. Pass off. We have a fluent uh, German speaker here in the room. Well, she's half German. That's yeah. why. Do you must miss you now with passing here. Oh, this is great. This is a great story. Angel Hair, we're definitely going to have you weigh in on this because this makes your entire uh, nation Who's of Kiki? people look, look terrible. Sorry. <gasps> okay. So, um, so, Germans, huh? so not only is she German, she hiked the PCT. Oh, I heard about this story. So, yeah. So she, five months into her journey... And this would have been uh, last last week. Um, she needed to be rescued from the North Cascades when <gasps> she, when she uh, she was hiking up there. And I don't know in Germany, you probably don't have weather like they do in the North Cascades. Pretty I, much exactly. I, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's the same thing. Okay, so um, so she was uh, she was hiking on her way up there, and. She, uh, a day hiker, was, was on the way down and gave her kind of a heads up of the, the long-range forecast, what was going on. And, you know, five months into your hike, you know it all. 
especially if you've read the book Wild. Right. Dilo will appreciate that comment. So, uh, and, you know, I have not hiked the PCT, but she was in an area near Micah Lake and Milk Creek. Do you guys know that? Oh, yeah. She, she yes. was basically north of, of Skykomish, right? Mm-hmm. North of uh, Stevens, Stevens Pass. Pass. So Stevens Pass. basically the worst <laughs> weather on the PCT happens between Stevens Pass in Stahican, yep. and it yeah. sounds like she was in that section. Glacier Peak Wilderness. Very Glacier Peak Wilderness, wilderness. Yeah. yes. Yeah. In Missouri. So, um, so the day hiker came down, she let her know. She saw what she was carrying and let her know what was coming up, and so she had not known about that kind of weather, so she, she thought that she would be okay. Let's just fast forward a little bit. She's on the trail. One of her tarps that she's uh, camping with blows away. One? Did yeah. she have multiple tarps? <laughs> two, two tarps. Whoa. Interesting. Okay. So, um, prepared. That's right. And so she, uh, she said she, she knew she was in trouble when one of her tarps blew away <laughs> during the front that came in, leaving her see- sleeping bag soaked. And Beauty, this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not me. Okay. Well, we had, we had a very similar situation happen in that same section of trail in 2008 with another hiker who had a tarp and a sleeping bag, a down sleeping bag that became soaked. <laughs> And he pulled it out to show us, and it looked like a wet loaf of Wonder Bread. <laughs> like, his down sleeping bag was completely saturated, and it was the size of a football, yet he was still hiking north. And he said he was going to go dry it out in a cave. Yeah. What? Right. It was cold. Good luck with that. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well no, that is going. one good thing about down is when you do get it wet, you can fit more into your pack. It's true. So <laughs> it's a little known fact about down. Right. Trail tip. If food doesn't fit, just wet your down. <laughs> Let me just clarify. This person, regardless of nationality, was hiking northbound on a on the PCT. You know, as a northbound through hiker in the month of November. Is that correct? It was yeah. It was last week, and it was not trauma and pepper. Okay, can I? Do you guys mind if I do an impromptu trail tip right now? Sure, do it. Dear long-distance hiking community, whatever you decide to do on your through-hike, if you are a northbound PCT through-hiker in November, you've made a huge error in judgment and a huge life mistake. Please, for the love of God, do not hike in Washington in the month of November headed to Canada on a PCT through-hike. That is the worst thing you could possibly do. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so what happened to her? Carry on. So the Good Samaritan that um, that helped her out, she knew your trail tip, right? She listened to the show from the future. <laughs> Whoa. So she knew what was going on. She's, she's a long-time trail show listener. First-time caller. First-time caller. And so she was the one that uh, kind of gave, gave the woman a little heads up about the weather coming in. And, you know, the, the hiker said she was good. Uh, so uh, the the person who saw her saw that that storm come in, knew about where she was going to be. She was familiar with the area, and the storm hit, and she knew that the woman wasn't prepared. And the woman uh, that saw her on the way down, the day hiker, just had a feeling, couldn't go to sleep, called nine one one, called in a rescue for her. And what, this is this is, this is knowing. almost a week later. Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, a week later. So that yeah, because she knew where she was going to be. And so, wait, 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 wait. So, let's, let's name later. these people because there's two women. It's too hard. So the, it's 
an American sees the German says, "Hey, there's weather coming in." Was the weather coming in that day? No, the, it was a uh, it was a, it was a no, longer term November forecast. November in northern Washington. The I, weather. I know that. I know. I got it. But was it going to come in that day? No, it was not coming in that day. But okay. she knew where she was going to be. A few days later. Yeah. So, and so she goes home. She's sick about it. The woman had given her a ride to Stevens Pass and I guess dropped her off there and told her in the oh, car. Oh, okay. God. So, wow. yeah. So, so she called it. It's very she, confusing. An news. American day hiker and America, a German yeah. through hiker. That's right. All, that's exactly. all you need to remember. Walk into a bar in Scotland <laughs> and order some a steaming chief, haggis. A chief, a rabbi, <laughs> a priest. Okay, know. anyway. So, um, so she called in uh, the 911 and uh, advised them of the ill prepared PCT hiker. And they sent out SAR. Thank you, SAR, for everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. And they uh, they took the helicopter out, flew low, you know, below the clouds, and were actually spotted like a single track of footprints that led to the hiker. Because she's the only one out there. Yeah. Right. And and the woman and uh, the and by footprints you mean in the snow? In the snow, yes, yeah. Great. So um, the German through hiker, she uh, she said that she was just frantic and was yelling at the top of her lungs for help, knowing nobody could hear. Oh, and she was. Yeah, you know, the helicopter found her, airlifted her out. She, you know, they said she was hypothermic and a little Kiki, dazed. Can you give us an example of what that might have sounded? <laughs> what that might have sounded like? Hello, <laughs> hello, gib da jemand Hilfe, Hilfe. Wow, that was a dramatic recreation of what actually <laughs> happened. That on was the trail. great. So, uh, so the uh, the thru hiker, though she was rescued and uh, not too bad, she uh, she says she still can't feel uh, parts of her her fingers and, and whatnot. So, <gasps> which you know could be okay. I've been you know, yeah, it situation. takes a while. So, uh, and she, but she did think that had she, the helicopter not come in, she still could have survived. And I heard probably, she wrote home letters. Yeah, um, she like goodbye letters. She to recorded. Her she recorded. Um, oh. Yeah, because she she has. She thought a, she was going to die. Yeah, she does have. She has uh, one or two children, so she apologized, and so she recorded herself, like you know, her potential last messages, which does contradict her story about her thinking that she was going to survive with frostbite, possibly to her fingers and or leg. I mean, we had snow in September. Yeah. I can't even fathom November. Yeah, I mean, I would even submit that October's dicey. October's But the thing late. is, but but the other thing is that you know, it's all about weather forecasts are pretty readily available even like spot forecasts. So if you're headed north on your PCT through hike, usually once you get to Washington, you're kind of looking at the whole state north as you're going north. Every time you get to town, you're kind of looking at the weather because you know, that's when you start to push the envelope there. And, and you would think that, you know, by the time you get to Stevens Pass, you you would have known if it had already snowed and how much and are we going to have any snow? I mean, I, I just think it's inexcusable to not know what the weather is in this day and age. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Or even be there in November, like you said. And, you know, we've talked about this on the show before in that, like, there's this thing that happens with through hikers yeah. on really long trails where it's almost like they get this tunnel vision mm-hmm. where like the trail, I mean, the trail is their entire world and the thought of not finishing can kind of cloud any sort of rational decision making. And it's like what, Summit fever. what I would have said to yeah. her is like, 
you know what? You got to Stevens Pass in late October, early November. You were pushing the envelope already. You should probably just call the hike good at Stevens Pass and come back another year and finish. The totally. trail will always be totally. there. And, and that's, that's And especially what, you have children you're saying goodbye to. Yeah, it's not worth it. I mean, these these long trails, well, I would like to think they would always be there. They're probably going to be there the following year. So, like, if there's some reason you shouldn't go forward, you know, you don't have to go forward. You can You can stop. You can come back next year, pick right up where you left off, and finish your hike. Like, yeah. you don't have to put your life in jeopardy or other people. I mean, face it when when you initiate a SAR rescue, you're putting the SAR rescuers' lives in jeopardy. Also, totally. helicopters crash, people people get hurt while they're out searching for you. Like, don't put other people in that sort of situation. Right. I don't think this represents Germany. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Germans are it's, actually known for their mountaineering skills, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. German and the well, Swiss. Well, we've all met German hikers, long yeah. distance hikers, and made good friends with them. And, and Maddie Erlos is like the most bomber long distance hiker I've ever met. Speedo. Yep. So yeah, yeah. and you know, and uh, this was a you know bad year for ice on on Orzabin. Um, I was talking to somebody who had been up there, and just the the ground was so icy going to the summit of Orizaba in Mexico, that they were using ice screws to, to anchor in on the ground. This is, by the way, for folks who don't know, this is the highest mountain in Mexico, which is, what, 18,000 plus feet? Mm-hmm. Okay. 18, yeah, so. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was talking to somebody, and he said, like, not, not many people had made it this season, much less in the last month, with the exception of five Russians who had multiple Everest attempt between them, and a, a lone German. German. A German. A lone, as they called him, yeah. a lone crazy German. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one German I remember meeting and w- that would fit that category, he had like a pound of sugar. In his <laughs> and we were all just kind of making fun of him because he was in our group. We're like, what are you? And he's like, this is pure energy. This is pure energy. <laughs> oh, he's he, he thinking like, I'm like, it's probably true, but it's still a pound of sugar. Is that true, Salty? Is that pure, it's pure sure. energy? It's quick uh, burning energy. Yeah. It's like Malta, right? <laughs> right. Where's that? In the whites somewhere. Oh, it's pure energy for about 45 minutes, and then it's... I don't know what he did yeah. with it or how he ingested it, but it was the funniest thing to see come out of a pack. Parachute. A pound of sugar. Parachute. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right, what else you got, Mike Jane? So, um, so, you know, you, you had just mentioned that you think that the trail would hopefully still be there next year. Well, let me tell you about this fire that happened in Oregon in 2002 uh, called the Biscuit Fire. Oh, I know about the Biscuit Fire. So, at, at the time, it was the largest fire in Oregon's history. Yeah. And um, so let's fast forward to 2006 when a couple from Portland was looking at maps and this area is called the Kalmaposis. Sounds um, good. Area. So there's a there, there's you know, hundreds of miles of trails out in this area and it was scarred by the fire. And so a couple from Portland they were out there they were hiking it. Um, they had bought maps and so you see the dotted line. Uh, and they were following it, and they're like, you know, realizing that, hey, this trail that's on this map is not the trail that's underneath our feet. So as they were going through, they were stepping over trees, they stepped around rocks and, and everything, trying to follow this trail. And they were just got tired and pissed off about doing that. So they started breaking the branches, moving the rocks, you know, just to kind of clear the way. And then they realized when they looked back, like, we're kind of clearing the trail. All right. <laughs> and she just cleared her trail. Yeah, what what was that noise from the, the other <laughs> room? I, I don't know. 
Um, Let's see if the mi- wow. <laughs> Sounds like a trombone. Uh, uh, I can't compete with that. No. Yeah. no so, um, so anyway, so they uh, when you know once they started doing that, they realized like you know this place is burned. It's supposed to be like a really beautiful area to hike, or it was at one point before the fire. And they wanted to bring that area back, that trail back. And the Park Service wasn't going to do it. You know, they, they're not going to build, you know, this, these trails, 100 miles of trails through the wilderness that's been burned, especially with trees still falling over and rocks still rolling down hills and whatnot. So they have been dedicating their lives since 2006. They gathered a group of uh, friends as volunteers to help uh, clear the way of trails to make the the Trans Kalamaposis Trail, okay, only twenty six miles, but still, that's a lot of you know a lot of trail to to clear from nothing. Sure. And so they um so they did this, and they were organizing friends to rebuild the trail, and they uh, decided to go and make it more official. So uh, people, their friends, and and other people that were helping them clear the trail said that they should get uh, special use permits because it is wilderness area to go in. You know, they were, they were cutting trees to clear the road. And you know all about that, cutting branches. And and they, they said, no, you know, it's wilderness. Like, it's there for a reason. We're not going to go. We're not going to apply for those permits to get chainsaws out there and whatnot. So they, they used the typical wilderness tools. Yeah. Can you name some of those? Yeah, the Pulaski, Pulaski the yeah. McLeod, mm-hmm. the Crosscut Saw, an axe. Mm. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> all of those. Yeah, basically anything that doesn't involve a motor... Something mechanical or gasoline. That's right. Okay. So, yeah. So they so they um, they got a a good amount of people together and they spent years doing this, right? And they decided to c- stop counting trees that they were cutting. Uh, and who's who's done some trail maintenance around here? Yeah, Remember? yeah, everybody. So you know about her. So everybody. They stopped counting trees. They were cutting fifteen thousand. So oh. they decided to stop counting at that point. On a twenty-six mile stretch of oh trail. My God. Because they, they would clear and think about a burn scar, right? You oh, have the burn that. scar, and then weather comes, snow comes, uh, wind, and it just knocks down trees. And so you cut trees, you recut them, recut them, you know. So they, uh, so they stopped doing that. So now go forward a little bit further, and that uh, small group of friends is now a nonprofit organization with 600 members. Boom. And they've reclaimed about 150 miles of trail. And they maintain two hundred around two hundred and eighty miles of overall trails in that wilderness area. They made the trails great again. That's incredible. <laughs> so yeah, that we're gonna we're gonna just talk about good news. I like it, man. Good Nectar. news. So that's that's your news, awesome. man. So yeah, that's that's my news. Thanks, Mac G, for taking over trail news and leaving us on a, a positive. A high note. note. We appreciate ah. that. No. All right, we've got a. Um, we're gonna switch things around a little bit. We've got an audio clip from Moon Kid. <gasps> Yay! Moon Kid, as you know, is making his way from the bottom of South America to the top of North America. We posted a link to his YouTube videos. Check those out; they're really cool. Anyway, last we heard, I think Moon Kid was in uh, somewhere in northern South America. Yep. And mm, play the clip. It's all in the clip. Let's see where he is now. It's all in the clip. Hola amigos de Trecho, ¿cómo están? No. <laughs> I always say that some people in the room, some people in the Trecho team are trying to, to learn Spanish. So I'm trying to help you in that way. 
to speak a little bit Spanish, uh, every time I will send you a, a record <laughs> instead of Quechua. Quechua is, uh, is over. We don't speak uh, any Quechua anymore here where I am now. And um, I have to say, I am in Ecuador. Yay! I, uh, I just passed the, the border a few days ago. And uh, I'm very glad to be to be here. Well, I have to say that it has been quite hard on uh, physically. I mean, because um, I got down the mountains, down the the Cordillera de los Andes, into a, an actual tropical climate, like kind of a tropical gap <clears throat> around the border. And um, the climate, of course, changed completely. And uh, the landscape, the scenery, the culture a little bit too. And um, I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, it's completely different. There is a lot of fruit. A lot of, uh, I don't know, along the roads, for example, in, in Peru, the, there were some uh, some small shops um, offering some cocoa, cocoa water. I don't know how you say that. Mm-hmm. Coconut, Coconut water? And uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of juice. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's great. I like it, but um, I mean, to go hiking, it's um, it's a little bit hard for me <laughs> because um, I'm not a great great fan of um, hot climate, and um, it was very very hot, very humid during this uh, during these parts around the border. But now I'm it's getting better. I'm I'm getting I'm getting up back uh, into the mountains so because of course the the ecuador have some beautiful mountains too yeah it's getting fresher and um a lot of road i'm quite sad about that because well it's not very very interesting but um it allows me to to make some big distances every day so that's fine i'm i'm going to to get back on a on the actual itinerary of the Capacnan, still on the Capacnan, the big Inca road system, till the, the southern side, the southern Colombia. So through through Ecuador, I'm going to follow this uh, historical itinerary. And um, yes, Ecuador. Well, of course, it's uh, it's a it's uh, very similar to to Peru. I mean, still a Latin country, but um, still it's quite different. It's uh, more well developed. I would say the people in general are more well educated. It's cleaner. Right now, I'm I am in a very very nice city in the south of uh, Ecuador named Loja, and everything is beautiful with some very nice uh, colonial architectures and um, the streets are clean, the people are, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very nice. I'm, I was quite sad, sad to to leave Peru, of course, because um, I stayed quite a long time in, in this country and I enjoyed it so much. People in Peru are so nice and that's a beautiful country. Wow, what is that? I'm uh, I'm quite excited to to discover (laughs) more of uh, of Ecuador, and um, of course I uh, I I will send you some updates to 
to expose you that that new country and my roots on this adventure so see you next month and um till then happy hiking <laughs> ciao <laughs> Ciao. No, All right, Moonkid. It's good. You need, I mean, it's good to hear people from Alabama hiking. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Uh, I got to say, I actually subscribed to... Uh, so Moonkid has a... I don't know. There's some deal on his, his like website right now that you can do a monthly donation. And it's like uh, six euros or something. I don't know. what. It, I don't remember. Yeah. And then they send you this package. And so um, he announced it on his website. And so I signed up for it. And he said, oh, but that was supposed to be like he assumed it was going to be European people. that." And he was like, it's more postage to send to the U.S. And I was like, well, I don't care about that. You don't have to send me anything. You know, like I just wanted to support you. And um, but he did. He's, he An envelope came in the mail the other day. And it's so cool. It has this like five page letter in French. And. <laughs> Um, and it has three really cool pictures that he's taken, one of which is of the most beautiful mountain in the world, the one that we talked about last month, and I don't remember the name of it. And also it has a postcard from, I don't know, from Peru probably, um, and a sketch. And I, don't, not, I, I meant to ask him if the sketch is, if he did it or if it's of him or what. I but think anyway, it's of him. Maybe it's a sketch he did of someone else that he's met. Okay. We'll have to ask him. Anyway, it's really cool, so go search out the American hike and um, and you can sign up for that if you want. And I think he, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he'll continue to send those little packages to the U.S. or not, but, um, you know, I would support him anyway because he's doing some cool stuff. So how long has he been doing this? Um, That's a good question. I feel like he's probably going on a couple of years oh maybe. Wow. I think he started last year. Oh, yeah. And actually it's only been a little over a year. Yeah, because he just had his one-year anniversary video that he put out, I feel like, late summer is when he put it out. Um, But he's covered, I don't know how many kilometers. Man, I wonder what the extent of it all will be. Yeah, it's great. And I'll tell you, like, Moon Kid is, um, he's a really frugal bastard. So just know that if you're going to send him a couple of euros like he's not going to he's going to make him stretch he is going to make him stretch he is yeah yeah it's pretty cool mm-hmm. we've got to take another break when we come back we've got iTunes top 5 and trips from the past month stay tuned Craig, Pisco, used to be Skygazer Gully. And while it's okay to change your trail name, it's never okay to listen to the trail show. Thank you, Pisco. We're going to check in with the beer. Again, we're drinking some beers from High Alpine Brewing out of Gunnison. And we got the Gunny Gold Kulsh. And we also got the Slash Turn Hazy IPA. And in Dilo's honor... I'm going to read to you about the IPA. It's 6.5% ABV, 50 IBUs, and here's what it says. Now that the hazy or New England IPA is officially a Brewers Association beer style, we decided it was time to make one for ourselves. 
developed by our head brewer, Nick Lawson. Slash Turn is a full of oats and hops, a creamy mouthful, and serious tropical and citrus flavors take charge in your mouth. What happened to your voice? Do yourself a favor and come in for this really delicious beer. Dear Casey. No, it, it went away from Dear Casey. It just went into goofy radio announcer yeah, voice. I don't did. know what happened. I can't explain. Mm, okay, so coach. we got the Kolsch and the IPA, and thank you, Trail Show Nation. All right, let's get into trips. Who wants to start this thing out? I will, since I'm eating. Don't everybody jump on the mics um, at once. Salty and I have been doing some more lake bagging in the Sangres. Oh, yeah, we did. We went up to a wicked cold lake. Went up to lakes of the Lake of the Clouds, which is actually three lakes. But we did not go up to the second and third lake because they were going to be right above Treeline. And it was, we had all of our clothes on at Treeline in the lower lake. So we decided not to go any farther. Yep. It was very windy, but very snowy and beautiful. It was beautiful. Yep. Did you get in the water? Oh, yeah. A couple yeah. times. Yeah, we had to break through the ice first. You, you saw it. <laughs> Fortunately, hole. we brought our chainsaws. So we just <laughs> cut did, a hole. Did you swim? Under the ice from hole to hole? Actually, we just caught one hole. We got in there, swam across the lake and back, and then came out the same hole. That's impressive. Right. With frozen corneas. Okay. Yep. MacGyver, how about you? Uh, let's see. In the past month, uh, I worked on a couple more Centennial Peaks. Okay. Yeah. So Which ones? Or at least just tell us one. Give us, what was the best Dallas. one? Dallas. Dallas? No, that's September. That was a September hike. Oh, okay. I can't go back that far, can I? No, that's too far ago. But that is no. the toughest centennial you've done to date, right? It is. Okay. Yeah. But we can't talk about that. We won't talk about that. What it's, about, it's what about uh, in the last four weeks? Argentine, right? You guys have been up and over that peak. I have. Just uh-huh. hasn't. No, that's in the Sangres, right? It's part of the CDT, no. isn't it? Yeah, it's the what? official CDT that goes up in upgrades and Tours. Oh, it's over that way. Yes. Yep. It, okay. Is it near Grays and Tories? Yeah. It's right okay. Yeah, it's connected. Right mm-hmm. Excellent day. So, yeah. And then, um, well, Grizzly Peak D, but that's not a Centennial Peak. But some other, oh. just a Boo. couple other 13. Yeah, I know. Just kidding. Just some 13,000 foot peaks. But, yeah. And those are, uh, that one is actually on the other, the other side of Grays and Tories. So, you can actually take that route all the way up to uh, Tories on the, the back side. Okay. So yeah, and then um, and then that the count is run hikes more hikes, but around Golden that Golden Hell Week. So yeah. Yeah. Now what's Golden Hell Week? Golden Hell Week. I just found out about this. It's uh something that they do every every year in Golden, Colorado, and they uh, it's organized by the uh, the running club there, where they take the the five prominent uh, trails around Golden, and they just do them during the week. And you can either race, right, if you want to, right? That's on Strava. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I had to sign up for in order to track my times. Strava's an app. What if correct? you don't want to track your time? Can you still do it? Absolutely. You can cool. do anything you want. Anything you want. <laughs> anything? Anything. So did you do the Golden Hell Week? So, yeah, I did it. I did it as a hiker. And this is actually, this is pretty funny. So um the on monday uh, i've covered about 17 and a half miles and worked an eight hour day so uh, you know covered a good yeah. about and then i ended up at uh, at a brewery in golden which is kind of their central point for it and was out there talking and I've, i felt very out of place being around a bunch of runners especially like 
like prominent runners who travel different areas around the world, like hikers do, but they do that to run trails. And um, one of the one of the guys, the guys who who organized the run, was uh, was like, you know, he's like, yeah, you can always tell the the hikers out there because you know the the hikers have zip off pants. What? So you know what I did? I did that first day in, and I was sitting there in zip off pants. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I you know I kind of spoke up, and I was like, I knew I was kind of out of place, but and I was like. So zip off pants like these? And he's like, yeah, yeah, like those. I was like, I don't identify as a runner. Uh, Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I guess runners don't really wear convertible pants. No, they wear the skirt shorts. They wear, yeah. You got to be able to see a little bit of... Cheek. A little cheek. Cheek and hang. Incidentally, it was 27 (laughs) degrees earlier today in Gunnison, and I saw a, a, a young lady bicycling in those short shorts. And I was thinking like... It is 27, right? And it was. And I don't know. Maybe you just adapt to a cold climate after a while and you can wear short shorts when it's 27 degrees. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, George. Uh, I, I actually don't have anything to report. Other, I've just been trail running more. You've been going to the hot springs a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. But is that really a trip report? I don't know. I've, uh-huh. been, I've been doing the cold plunges, which, is, which has been exhilarating. Especially like after, you know, it's snow melt coming into Chalk Creek and you're laying down in like 32 and a half degree water. And the longest I've been able to stand it is like a minute and a half. Like it's that cold. And there's an issue too, like when cold water is moving versus when cold water is still. Moving cold water is much harder to stay in for any amount of time. Still water is a little easier. That's neither here nor there. Angel Hair, have you done anything this month? Well, the exciting thing is that Rigatoni and I are house-sitting in Crested Butte um, this month, and we also did last month. And I just love Crested Butte because there are trails in every direction. So hiking is just a way of life around here. Trail running, hiking, going up every drainage you can go up. So I haven't traveled further than, you know, these beautiful valleys around here. But definitely been out on the trails. I miss hearing the elk bugle in yeah. these valleys. Were you all here we for were. that? Yeah. Yes, it was. Maybe this is a good segue um, for you, Rigatoni. My trip report. Yeah, I think it might be. I mean, if we're going to talk about elk, and, we should and hooved animals. Why don't you go ahead, man? What have you been up to? You've been well, my, you've been doing a little different, little different stuff, right? I'm a through hiker, obviously, but. Uh, in September, I do what well to step back a little bit is I was a through hiker first, and then I became a hunter and so I had all these skills through hiking, and then I got into hunting bow hunting elk in September in Colorado and um the, the one thing about hunting I didn't realize is like all the gear is just made for you know it's just heavy it's cotton it's canvas tents it's wood burning stoves um you know there's just nothing light about hunting at all and it just really didn't sit very well with me because i had all this you know you know 15 pound base weight and uh so anyway i started what i call through hunting which is through hunting i basically hunt all september which is the bow hunting season and i carry all my stuff like no hunter out there really carries all their stuff with them all the time but i wake up in the morning um, I hunt all day with all my stuff and I end up wherever I end up, 
um, and that's where I camp. So I don't really have to go back to camp. Um, most hunters can go go out all day, but then they come back to their you know luxurious camp that has chairs and and tables and all that kind of stuff. But I just sort of can follow the elk all day. Um, when it gets dark, I can pitch camp within really a quarter mile of wherever I am, find the nearest flat spot, and uh, then wake up that next morning and continue hunting again after I pack my backpack again. So I would really, any through hiker out there that ever wanted to take up hunting, I would say keep all your lightweight gear and just adapt it to hunting. Like I still hunt in runners. I don't wear hmm. big boots. Um, Do you ever get the stink eye from other hunters? They're like, what the hell is he doing? I often, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't see many hunters out there because in bow hunting, you really, you don't have the pressure that you do with uh, normal hunting. Um, I, you know, in, in 20 days out of 28 days, I saw one hunter. Wow. But uh, he's also way up high and um, that actually comes in handy because these days hunting season's so hot, it's getting warmer um, oh, yeah. in September than it used to. So he has that advantage of being able to go further away from what would be their base camp. So when you when you sleep, so I assume elk sleep just like humans, right? Like they sleep at night? No. <laughs> what? Thank you for showing your knowledge of elk. But no, elk are, are nocturnal. So they're really only awake at dusk and dawn moving to their beds or to their food. And, uh, so your, your best chance for hunting them is you bit, you basically wake up at four thirty or five, maybe move a quarter mile to a spot that you is really quiet and hasn't been messed with. And then, then you just kind of wait around, try to find some sign, but bugling they're they're usually always bugling, like you said, in September and, and they'll bugle in the early morning. And then you just try to follow that bugle. Um, yeah. and that's the beauty of, of bow hunting and, um, is trying to just go chase them. I t- one night on the CDT, PUD and I were camped south of Creed and I swear there must've been like four elk within 20 feet of our tent oh, yeah. because i the bugling was, I felt it was right in my ear. Now, granted we were in our tent. We, we didn't have like, we couldn't see. But it, it, I felt like it was right on us, man. You would have, you oh, would, that have would have loved. Been, that would have been like a. That a, did not happen to me this <laughs> hunting season. And had it happened, it would have been the, a story I told to everybody. It seems we've had that happen to us on the, the CDT in New Mexico. And um, unfortunately, when you are looking for them, they're, they're a little on to your game and they go away from you. But they're hard to find. I didn't get one. And then when we, after hunting season was over, we had a house sit in Crested Butte and just so happens that a herd of elk was literally 75 yards from my bedroom window for the whole time of this house, it was a, which was about 15 days. And I got to hear them bugling all night and uh, as I slept in this bed with the window open. So it, was, it hurt my heart. Do you all eat the meat? Oh yeah, it's delicious. If, if you've never had elk meat, it's... It's way different than deer. It's so... It is so, so delicious. Um, How do you no prepare it? There's like, no fat. Um, it doesn't have any white in it at all. Hmm. Like it's just completely red. You almost have to add olive oil or any kind of oil to it just to make it sizzle a little bit. But Disco, it's go. I it's, guarantee I've cooked. Elk. Yeah, he's had it before. You just don't oh, remember. Yeah, yeah I, I'm just. I want to paint a picture for Trail Show Nation because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that haven't had elk meat, 
And I mean, can you make elk burgers? Or you can you ground it up. Yep, steaks? you can make burgers. Um, you can just we make fry sausage. up steaks. You can cut it in little strips and do like stir fry. Um, you use a it, lot of olive oil because it doesn't have its own fat. And then what a what a lot of elk hunters when they have a process right, they they'll have it purposely mixed with fat, right? To Pork for fat. the ground, yeah. But they we will, don't do that because yeah. it's. Nasty. Why would you do that? Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Keep so rigatoni, like elks are very large animals. You are one person with a fairly lightweight backpack. How do you go about getting all that meat back to wherever you need to get it to? Well, when you when you get an animal, you you know you 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 drag it into the shade, try to keep it cool, and then you basically do what's called quartering it. You you take the legs off, but you know front and back legs and um, there's a, a thing called a backstrap, which is on each side of its spine, which is a really neat cut of meat that on an elk probably weighs like, you know, 20 pounds each backstrap. Wow. wow. Um, you take that out and that makes little Whoa. round steaks, probably like 25 round steaks oh per gosh. backstrap. Um, but then, you know, I carry all my lightweight ropes. I might have four super lightweight 50-foot ropes that all then hang most of the meat from trees because otherwise bears will get it. Um, and then I'll hike out with one quarter, probably one hind quarter, which could weigh like 55 to 80 pounds really depending oh. on, the, on the animal. I'll, I'll hike out with one of those. I'll leave all my gear behind. Um, and then once I get to my car, I'll, I'll have another pack. I'll have a big, like my, actually I'll have my original ATO2 Dana <laughs> design, like 6,000 cubic, cubic pack, oh, yeah. and I'll, I'll carry yeah. that back to the animal so that I can carry a little bit more weight comfortably. And then I'll, it, it'd probably take me four trips if I did it alone, which I rarely do alone. I'll usually call a friend in there. Angel hair will help me. Um, but you're just basically just carrying 60 to 80 pounds out per trip. Um, and your backpacks, Ugh. well, it's probably too much information, all the, the mess, and, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of work. Actually, the fun part is before you get the animal, just the chasing them and the living out in the woods um, and getting all your senses come into tune, you know, like all your sense of smell and your sense of hearing just becomes so much better because you're listening to every little um, stick snap, you know. Very, yeah. very, very primitive form of following an animal, tracking an animal yeah. and but through hiking just so much prepared me for hunting. I was, it was great to be a through hiker first and then come into hunting because then, since I didn't come from a hunting family, um, all of a sudden I had all these great skills through hiking and I just applied them to hunting, which hunters weren't ever doing. Like, for example, I'm, I wear tights when I hunt. I got these like leopards. Oh, man. And this is going to be hard to. T- I have these leopard skin tights that I got at a thrift store in the large, leopard skin? In the large woman section. And uh, so anyway, but they work so great. Like they're the best because you're always climbing over deadfalls. And the the beautiful thing about hunting is you're never on trail. You're always off trail walking. And that's something that through hikers don't do very often. They're almost always on trail. So that was a neat. But anyway, so I I kind of think outside the box when it comes to he what works. He loves them so much because he can sleep in them. I feel and like I'm he the just first. Wakes up and he's I ready. do. I just go to bed in my tights. I wake up in my tights. I just start hunting. I don't take them off for like five days straight. Oh, what, um, what do you do for yeah. when you're out there? What do you do for navigation? So if you're just if you're following, you know, you just oh, you could get so lost hunting. You really could. I mean, you're out in places that people probably haven't been for. You might be the first person in a certain spot for, you know, the last forty years. But um, 
but I carry a spot beacon just as for an emergency because I get into places where if I were to fall and break a leg, nobody on earth knows that I'm there. So I carry spot beacon and I also have on my trusty iPhone 4S. I've just used that GPS on it with some, oh, gee. With some downloaded uh, topo mm. maps and that keeps me straight. So I basically don't keep track of where I am so much, but I can always figure out how to get out of where I am. It's great too because when he gets an animal, he can mark the spot. And so he gets back to the car, which is also marked with GPS. With that GPS. Yeah. And so you can go back and find the meat that you hung in the tree. I have a, it's, I have a system with awesome. my spot beacon because spot beacon only gives you, you have an okay message and a custom message. And But anyway, I, our system is I send three okay messages in a row, and that means I got one. Okay. Ah, okay. So when she gets three in a row, because I usually send one a night just to say where I'm camping, but if she gets three in a row... Get your pack. Get your AT like, pack oh, out. you got one. <laughs> get your Dana Designs yeah. 2002 get, pack. Get the spices ready. Yeah. Anyway, if any thru-hiker out there that's wondering what they're going to do next, you know, I would, I would highly consider taking those hunting. skills and uh, maybe getting into a little, little bow hunting in September. FKT cool. CDT hunt. <laughs> whoa dude whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah I think we should do iTunes top 5 let's do it we got some letters this month ooh finally actually they weren't letters they were things people posted on iTunes about the trail show Rice Bags says <laughs> the trail show 5 stars better than that other thing I get every month <laughs> <laughs> is Rice Bags a woman is that uh, it's just probably a magazine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Either way. <laughs> Dano Endeavor, Denver says, less roots, more poops. Five stars. <laughs> P.O.D. Nuff said, special, I know you're picking up what I'm putting down. Disco, I know, I know. It's a family show. D.Lo, hashtag kids, hashtag reality. Triple O, what does Legal at the Trail Show know about saying poop in an iTunes review? Good question. He's not here to defend that was or an deflect. In, that was an interesting review. Yeah, very interesting. All right. Paper, Paper Map Tells says, Best show to learn new trails, five stars. I love listening to the trail show each month. It's the best motivation for me to keep studying to get my teaching credential so I can have more time to get back on the trail. Yes. Till then, the show cures my wanderlust and adds to my never-ending list of trails to check out. Keep it up. Love you guys. All right. C.T. Cheek says, eh, five stars. The the trail (laughs) show gave me shin splints. (laughs) What? What? I don't know what that means. All right. And last but not least, we have Bearcore GA. He says, a dumpster fire of sound effects, five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Allow me to begin this review by expressing my love for a good dumpster fire. Disco's love for air horns, whacking tubes, and the Price is Right fail trombone is the highest of my listening experience. The joy of hearing P.O.D. try to wrangle the childlike D.Lo (laughs) is... (laughs) It's hilarious It should Uh, not be missed Triple O and Special are the perfect complement To the lunacy each episode provides I assume all of the above is true Because I never actually listened to the trail show Bearcord Nice one (laughs) Thank you Bearcord We appreciate that Save the best for last there 
That was good. All right, we have a salty snack, I believe. Oh, oh it's time for some salt. Yes. Boy. Uh, so somebody wrote in a question for Salty. And uh, who was going to read that question? I guess Salty is because I don't have it on my page. Hmm. Who's got, does anybody, I, do I have it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got it. All right, we got a Salty question. Shall I read it? Yes, please. Don't make me come over there. Okay, sorry. I don't know what happened. Okay. Dear Salty Snack, some of my distance hiker friends like to bulk up before a big hike, anticipating the extreme weight loss from the trail. As a female, I've never experienced a lot of weight loss on trail. I get stronger, but I don't lose a lot of weight. Anyway, I still do go ahead and have a few extra things before hiking, but I don't like to overdo it. I was thinking that maybe bulking up is good in theory, but in a different way. I can only carry so many fresh vegetables and supplements while I'm hiking, and I know my body takes a hit. I can't afford the expensive foods while I'm hiking, but try to do the best I can with the budget I have. Are there certain types of nutrients or foods I could try to increase my intake of over the winter and or the month before hiking so that my body is more prepared for the inevitable nutrient strain that happens once I'm out there? Thanks. Love hula hoops. Hula hips. Hula hips. Hula hips. All right, hula hips. This is a great question because, yes, you can definitely set yourself up for success for uh, a long-distance hike from a health standpoint months before the hike begins. Um, So by optimizing your health going into the hike and then just doing the bare minimum to maintain good health um, while you're on trail, you can prevent the depletion and the adrenal fatigue, the illness, the injury, and a lot of the hormonal imbalances that can lead people to get off trail. Um, So in the same way that people prepare their gear well ahead of a hike, I think there are steps you can take to prepare your body to be more resilient and to increase your chances of finishing the trail healthy and strong. So in terms of fortifying your body to handle the stress of a long-distance hike, um, you can come at it from a few different angles. So in terms of food and nutrients, um, I would say the main thing is you want to be sure that you're not deficient going into a hike. So I would definitely recommend getting a high-quality multivitamin that has everything, like including all the trace minerals. Hmm. Um, You can always do an inexpensive blood test if you want to see if there are specific nutrients Ah. you're deficient in, um, like magnesium, which nearly half of U.S. adults are deficient in, or B12, which I think about 40% of U.S. adults are deficient in. So there's a lot of common deficiencies that you want to take care of before you get on trail because it would just get worse on trail most likely. Um, so that's like the baseline. And then if you were to do one other thing, uh, in the off season, I would say it's to, to optimize your gut health and really get that in order. And there are a lot of steps you can take to do that. And it's too much to go into right now, but really your gut is like the foundation of your immune system, your brain health. It's where several of your key hormones are synthesized and it's just super, super important. So, um, I have a lot of blog posts about that on my website. And, um, and then lastly, I would just say that in general, Um, in the off season, I would think of creating like an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. And what I mean by that is that there are a lot of stresses in our modern world and, um, stress equates to inflammation in the body. And there's a lot that you can do, um, to prevent that, like fixing your sleep habits. Like I said, healing your gut, there are supplements like fish oil that you could be taking, um, and managing stress, just to name a few things that would, would cut down on the inflammation. Um, so yeah, I would say that's the basis. As I mentioned, it's, it's like too much to go in the details here, but there's definitely, it's a great question because there is a lot you can do ahead of time to prepare your body to have a healthy hike. Um, and again, I go deeper into these topics on my website, which is katiegerber.com. 
Um, and I'm actually in the process of creating something really cool that addresses how you can best prepare your body for a su- successful through hike um, from a health standpoint. So it's very yeah. cool. Real quick. So, uh, so it, just to that question. Yeah. So yeah, what would be the, the minimum amount of time that somebody would want to start to prepare their body for a hike or would the, the nutrients, supplements, minerals. Yeah, I would say at minimum, I, I would give it like 30 days, but the longer the better because the more you're going to like become more resilient, you know, the more you, because we probably most of us have a lot of like inflammation going on, like low level inflammation it just gets worse on trail because the, the trail is such a stressor in terms of like, you can't optimize your diet, need a lot of antioxidants. You can't really, I mean, you're putting so much physical stress on your body. So if you can start to like, if you can have that as low as possible before getting on the trail, then you're just setting yourself up to be much more uh, like resilient and strong and have a better chance of, of completing the trail successfully. So, okay. I yeah. love your answer. Cause I mean, <laughs> before other long trails, I mean, I have thought to myself, like I might as well eat this ice cream or these French fries, you know, because I'm about to go do this long trail. And so I'm sure that's part of what Hula Hips was talking <laughs> yeah, about right. in terms of bulking up. Right. But I like your approach to making your body as healthy and resilient as possible beforehand. And I don't know that a lot of people think that way. I don't, yeah, I don't think so either, but it's, it's something that I wish I would have done before yeah. my long hikes, especially like the PCT. Cause I ended up, um, anemic, uh, you know, and just like hormonal imbalances with adrenal fatigue. And I was eating really healthy the whole time, but I just, I think I've, you know, I just depleted my body beyond yeah. where I should have. So yeah, I think it's something that we don't talk about that much, but that could really help a lot of people you know, uh, avoid a lot of things that take them off trail. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, of course it's easier to get wrapped up in the logistics and the gear and everything, but it's true. You know, we, we, uh, we're like, Oh, I really need to make sure I have those, the waterproof gloves and the, this thing Mm -hmm. and the ground sheet. I'm going to spend some time cutting out my, you know, little piece of plastic and making sure this thing is exactly the same, you know, exact right height and my little piece of cord and like, you know. But we don't think about gut Yeah, we don't think about like, man, I really need to be, you know, making sure I'm, you know, chugging that apple cider vinegar drink I'm making (laughs) every day, you know, so. Right. Yeah, but our bodies, I mean, that's that's what's going to get you to the end. Of course. I think we just, you know, take it for granted, so. Yeah. Yeah, gut health is huge. Like, What's the stat that 80% of illness uh, originates in the gut? Right. Yeah. That's insane. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, so it's like, and same with like inflammation. I mean, it's pretty much at the root of like all of the like illness and, you know, a lot of what causes injury and stuff like that. So if you can reduce that as much as possible and a lot of that, you know, it's founded in gut health. Yeah. So in 2004, so I spent four weeks before my PCT through hike eating as much fast food as possible oh. so that I could gain 10 pounds. Oh man. And it's, it, and in 2004, I thought that this was a great idea oh. and I felt like absolute garbage when I started oh. that hike because I'd been stuffing my face with garbage for four weeks straight. Poison. Right. So it's like, like, like driving your car down or, you know, just ridiculously bumpy dirt road before taking it on a cross country trip. Right. Yeah. Right. You're just completely messing it up. And then you go out on this, we're supposed to be like pristine health and yeah, right. you're, not, you're not doing well. And I mean, if you do need to bulk up before a hike, there are healthier ways to do that than like, you know, downing a lot of chemicals and synthetic ingredients. Protein. <laughs> right, right. I will yeah. say that one time uh, before the CDT, actually I was, 
you know, I had totally gone 100% manatee that winter. And um, we we were doing some training hikes. And afterwards, we stopped at this little uh, grill in, in CB South. Yeah. I and they have they had like real French fries that they made there, and Disco was like, "You should get some fries." And I was like, "I can't." Like I'm just I was just feeling like so chunky and like just, like my clothes were uncomfortable, you know. And I was just like, "Nah." He's like, "You're gonna regret it. You're gonna wish you had had those fries." And then a week into the hike in Glacier, I got pretty hungry pretty early actually because it was pretty strenuous in, strenuous hiking. A lot of snow and stuff, and like we were crossing a giant snowfield, and I remember feeling so hungry and tired. And I just was waiting for me on the other side, and I looked up and I was like, "Hey, I really wish I would have had those fries." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yep. I don't spend four weeks stuffing my face no. before through hike anymore, but I do make a point to have French fries within about 24 hours of starting a three-hike. That's carbo-loading. Yeah, well, and because I also know at some point I'm going to be wet, miserable, and tired and, like, really wanting some French fries. But I also think so, that now we I don't, don't get those fries from McDonald's. Like, no, no, no. You know. Right, yeah. we, we get them from other places yeah. that are hopefully better. <laughs> yeah. Grass-fed, right? That's yeah. right. Grass-fed fry fries. Grass, yeah. Free-range. Well, and not everybody loses weight, like... Hula hips mentions most yeah, women true, don't, right? and I don't. older people also. Well, some do, but you know, when you're young, I think you can get away with yeah. a lot of eating, and then you'll be fine once you're on the trail. But I think the metabolism changes as well. And oh, yeah. With age. yeah, and your hormones uh, are more resilient, and men's hormones also are more resilient than women's. Mm-hmm. Like they bounce back better from when mm-hmm. you like mess them up. Damn it! I know. I know. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, cool. Thanks for that info. Thank you, Hula Hips. Yeah. That was hey, a great question. We got a trail tip from the Noodleheads, right? Take we it away, Rigatoni. All right. <laughs> okay, trail tip. Trail tip of the month. This should also involve Brolis. Brolis? That's mm, will make it No, I don't Cuz it makes it a great story. Do you, are we talking about Big uh, Andre Big Cat? No. Okay, sorry. The the trail tip of the month just basically revolves anyone that's had a piece of gear that they've used a lot like we all do through hiking, eventually zippers stop working. And it's so annoying because it's either a zipper on your raincoat or it's a zipper on your your main tent. Um your main tent? Your main yeah. tent as opposed to your well two tarps, right? We're carrying double up. Um, so it's just a way to, to fix that when your zipper stops connecting. Um, and th- the first thing that you can do is try to wash it because get water, because if sometimes they're not, it won't seal because it's just dirty. So that's the first thing you can do is just like put it in water, try to get the dirt out. Um, and that may make it start working again. If that doesn't work, the other tr- trick is to find somebody because you probably don't have a pair of needle nose pliers. But if you can find a nearby hiker that has a pair of needle nose pliers, what you do is on the the fat part of the zipper, you just have to squeeze it so that it's tighter. The the slider. The The slider. slider. You just have to get those needle nose pliers on each side of the pull on the slider and just squeeze. And the thing about it is there's a really good chance that you're going to break it. So, <laughs> so you're, it's a really fine line between fixing it and breaking it. So I will warn you to just apply just a little bit of pressure, mm. and on each side, 
see if it works, try a little bit more. And also, if you don't just break it, like snap it, you also get it so tight that it won't zip anymore either. So there's a fine line between it starting to work again and it just not pushing and pulling and sliding anymore because it's too tight. But I fixed so many that way that I can attest that it does fix it for a long time if you do, if you do that. So yeah. that's the trail tip of the month is fixing that zipper with needle nose pliers. And I would tell you too, if you actually do break that slider, um, and I've, I have broken a few sliders in my day, there are companies on the interwebs that will sell you new sliders. If you can save that piece of slider, there's usually like a couple of letters on the slider that'll tell you like, is it YKK or is it some other company? And you can usually find a replacement. And then there's YouTube videos on how to actually uh, replace a zipper slider because it, it can be a little complicated. You typically have to remove a pull at the top of the whatever the zipper is on. I know we're we're gonna we're getting like way in here. Should I hit the crickets on myself? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, but it's nothing's more annoying than having a zipper break, and they, they oh, it's horrible. They inevitably inevitably do, yeah. and uh, it is good to know that there's one way that you may be mm-hmm. able to save it, mm-hmm. finesse it back. Sweet. That was a great trail tip. Thanks, Rig. You're welcome. All right. We got to go to break. When we come back, we got the rest of the show to do, which includes Ask a Hiker, Mailbag, and we've got a great gear review for you, so don't go anywhere. The trail show will be back. Trail Show. Less gear, more beer. Trail Show is back, baby. And we had some donors this month. Yes, we did. We've got our monthly donors. We've got Bernard Wolf, Gumi Bear. Gumi. Russ Not Fuss Kinder. A Craig Pisco Gully, who was on the show a little earlier tonight. Thanks, Pisco. Yes. Chris Smith. Gringo. Bobby Walters. T H E. The Bobby Walters. <laughs> Joshua Bow Down to Ja Bowden. Ja. Diane Pinkers. Stein. David Vitti. Hey! I wonder if he's related to our conservation guest. Julie oh. Nania. Yeah. Nania. I don't know. They both ate a bowl of pasta as big as your head. Uh, Justin Knowles. Quality. Jason Lurch, not Church Dean. The Baptist. Ingrid Gerard. Vermont. Samuel. <laughs> Samuel Emery. The board. <laughs> Ru- Get it? Emery board? Emery board. I do. Okay, okay, very good. Rudy from CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I bet his ears are getting a little warm right yeah, now. Yeah, they are. Stay tuned. Jeffrey, not Sessions, Caldwell. Uh, Buddy Sessoms, not Sessions. Boy, not Sessions was in the news recently. Well, yeah, he was. Adios, the little troll. Adios. Did he, he get th- fired or resign? He, well, he got fired. Yeah. On paper, resigned, but he got fired. It, it, it reminded me of a, it's it's like how I once got dumped by a girl. Um, I said, uh, based on your request, I am deciding to leave you. <laughs> 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 okay. 
okay. That was how I, I broke up with her. <laughs> and she was like, good. Okay. She's like, thank God. <laughs> um, Pat the Bouncer Dixon. Axel. Steven the Hustler Russell. You got to know when to hold them. That's right. Do the hustle. Dun, dun, dun. Are you making these up on okay. the spot? No. No, these are their trail names. Ammon the Brute Bruce. Brute. Thanks That's for that great Harry Carey promo. Yes. Trevor, <laughs> smoke it if you got it. The Bowl Man. The Bowl Man. Oh, wait a minute. I've got a... I've got a... If you don't mind. I don't mind. I've got a sound effect for Trevor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> wow, a lot of cough in there. <laughs> uh, Renee Shira Patrick. Shira. Wesley, the haggis addict, Greenwood. We, we were just talking about haggis earlier yeah. tonight. Mm-hmm. I wonder, maybe Wesley's out there uh, on the TGO Challenge every year. All things haggis. Uh, gross. Kevin Chickpea Cross and Sasha Honeydew Codettes, their team. Hey now. Tebow, not Tim Williams. Tim Tebow. Tommy the Meat Popsicle Stevens. Joseph P- <laughs> Joseph Picararo. Picararo. <laughs> Brandon Lost Balls Love Lady. Lost Balls. <laughs> Daniel Fundip Sharps. Sharps. Shira the Switch Shira the Switch Blady. <laughs> Blady. And Brian the Big McNamara. <laughs> Big McNamara. Hell of a guy. Also, we had, uh, I want to clarify, last week, last month we had a one, our one-off Jeremy Corn Robin. Yeah, we got some uh, correction on that. Yeah, it's right? actually Jeremy the Corn Robin Shaman. Jeremy, or maybe it's the Corn Shaman. The I don't Corn know. Robin Shaman? <laughs> That's right. Corn with a K. K with a, yeah, corn with a K. <laughs> anyway, this month our one-off is Gregory, the Upper Decker. The Upper Decker. The Upper Decker. What's like an that. Upper Decker? I don't know, Matt. You should head on over to uh, Urban, Dictionary. Urban Dictionary and check it out. Yeah, right. I was just at Urban Dictionary. can't really speak to funny, that. Funny, his trail name show. is The Upper and his last name is Decker. That's kind of funny. Let's keep it family-friendly, P.O.D. What? Let's well, keep upper, it family upper Decker's friendly. family friendly. It's funny. Is it? It's funny. Okay. Actually, it's pretty awful. Anyway, uh, that's it. All right. So uh, we got some letters also this month. Yeah, right. we got some uh, some mailbag. Some, some mailbag. I got a couple things I'm going to read. First one is Yo Trail Showers. I've been scouring the archives to find the episode that include discussions of Ed Abbey and his co and his works. Can you remind me which one that is? No, we can't. No. You people have- are always sending us these requests, and here's the thing. We've done sev- this is our 77th show. As soon show. as we finish the show, we basically forget everything that we've <laughs> talked about because <laughs> when I listen to the show 3 days later to make sure all the curse words are bleeped out, I am like, "Oh, I forgot that I said that." Or, "Oh, I yeah. forgot that that happened while we were recording." So, People send us these requests sometimes, and honestly, I re- we really don't remember. But this specific one, I'm guessing that it was the one with M. John Fahey, where we talked about the Copper Canyon. That's my guess, but I don't know that for sure. All right, I've also got uh, Hey Trail Show. I recently discovered the show in August. Now you're my favorite hiking podcast. In episode number 69, drones, dogs off leash, and being confrontational are discussed. 
The past two summers, I have volunteered for Rocky Mountain National Park, where I received some training for those exact situations. De-escalation, I bet. I learned that while droners, no, drones are illegal (laughs) in national parks, they are allowed to fly in over the park as long as they take off and land outside the park boundary. Ooh, is that true? That's what she's telling us. Crashing a drone within park boundaries is illegal. Uh, As though you would purposely crash your drone. I don't know. I would say check your local regulations before you do that. Dogs are not allowed in national parks unless it is a service animal, I think. Most people knew that. The dog must be on a leash and only two questions may be asked. One, is this a service animal? And two, what service is this animal trained to provide? And that's it. If simply talking through the situation doesn't work, I would never advise being confrontational unless it's a river wildlife, a river wild life and death situation. But to observe the rule breaker from a distance and contact the nearest ranger or law enforcement ranger, with a location and description of the person slash dog slash drone slash rule breaker. And I think also yelling the term citizen arrest, citizen's arrest. <laughs> yes. That's a good Just one. like in, Barney Fife did yes. on Andy Griffith's show. <laughs> so d- dogs, you can actually have dogs in the car, but you don't want to leave a dog in the car. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Unless it's a service animal. That's right. <laughs> or a drone dog. <laughs> a drone dog. Yeah. So okay. call service ra- uh, park ranger. They can then come and issue a ticket. It's the law. Most likely rangers won't use resources to go after someone in the backcountry. They will be waiting for them at the trailhead. Forgive me if this is old news. As this episode came out in March, these rules pertain to national parks. They may differ in city park or national forest. Happy trails. Lil Beep. Lil Beep. Lil Beep. Lil. Lil. Beep Beep. L-I-L. That was a hygienical... Yep. That was, description. That was identical. Thanks, little beep. That was a good uh, clarification. Good yeah, yeah. Any other mailbag items? That's it. Well, I think it's time for ask a hiker with the noodle heads. Dun 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 now, dun dun dun. dun. Do we, we get music? It's on, baby. Did you all get some questions for ask a hiker? We did. This month? We got some questions. You want to start off, Rigatoni? I do want to start off. How convenient. <laughs> Um, we got a letter from some dude in Conifer. Name okay. Yog. Shout out um, to Yog. Yog? Shout out to Yog. Young okay. old guy. And, um, <laughs> Is that what it stands for? Yeah. <laughs> That's and awesome. he says, I've seen a lot of lightweight single wall sill nylon tents and also Dyneema fabric tents and tarps. Super lightweight and the design looks excellent. Can you talk about this generation of tents? I hope somebody can. Because I've never even heard the word Dyneema. I think he's speaking to Cuba, Cuban fiber. Yeah, I think which so. is, Cuban. Which has been renamed. Yeah, uh, you can speak to that. So basically, he wants to know what are the pros and cons of uh, you know the lightweight single wall sill nylon tents. Okay. And tarps. Um, double wall tents. Can you give me anything that a single wall can't? Talk about freestanding tent design versus stake supported. That's okay. always a big deal with people. Yeah. You know, like, um, and then he's, he says tents versus tarps. What can you tell me? Front entry versus side entry. How do these single wall mm. stake supported tents handle in the high winds and nasty storms above tree line? Well, so basically, he's just asking, <laughs> yeah. you know, go in there about tents versus tarps and single wall, double wall. Well, and I think just to clarify, uh, most people, at least that, that I know, um, the double wall thing is like 
that's for like winter camping, yeah. but but not for through hiking. There's a few. Yeah. Maybe car camping. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But for for backpacking, Big Agnes is making some pretty lightweight double wall stuff these days, and and you do see those on long trails. Um, true. But, but I would, you know, he said pros and cons. So I would just quickly say pros and cons of a single wall tent. Pros is it's very lightweight. Cons is that they typically get a fair amount of condensation. So that true. versus double wall. Typically, double wall tents get much less condensation than single wall tents. Well, I think they still get condensation. It's they just do. that it's on the rain fly. And you have a netted, exactly. usually yeah. a netted t- uh, yeah. roof. So. Yeah. And there's more yeah. dry, more surface area if your yeah. tent is wet on the inside and outside. It's true. I but, mean, yeah. single wall, we just don't have that problem with our Henry Shire tent at all. And it's single wall, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's con- is condensation, but I feel like... You learn how to manage that once you right. use them for a lot. You you learn how to have a little, totally. you know, piece of, uh, of absorbent sham wow in there and and deal with it in the morning. Um, yeah. It's not a game. It's not a game. It's not a game breaker. Game breaker that it con con. I can't talk right now. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm talking about. I it's do. not a game breaker. You just have to manage it. Yeah, and I, yeah. I would say like the the key with single wall tents and managing con- condensation. I can't say it either. Is if it's not, if the weather's good enough, leave the tent doors as open as yeah, possible. Yeah. That way, you can get a cross breeze and the condensation can't build up. That's kind of the number one tip, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. And then there's the like tents versus tarps, right? Which is interesting because I mean we have both a tent and a tarp, and we use them kind of, sometimes differently depending. Yeah. Um, I feel like tarps work better in really wet yeah. conditions. Which seems counterintuitive. You would think like, oh, if it's going to be super rainy, I want to be in a fully enclosed tent zipped up. And it's like, no, you don't because it's going to be so humid and wet yeah. inside yeah. that tent uh, that you're, things are just going to get saturated, especially if you have a down sleeping bag. Yeah. You know, that's where tarps really excel is in wet weather because you can at least get some airflow, a lot more airflow than you would in a tent, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think I think fully enclosed tents are better f- for bugs, yeah, and also for colder weather. So for tarps, what about the the ground? What do you do for the ground? And yeah, I think most people use some kind of a ground sheet, whether it's a piece of Tyvek that was kind of the old tried and true. Now there's a lot lighter stuff. Like people will actually use Cuban fiber uh, ground sheets, or just a piece of a painters painters plastic. You know, that's super cheap. You can get it like a Lowe's. Yeah, some of the beauty about tarping, I have an 8x10 that I use, and I also have a Henry Shires tarp tent, and I compare and contrast the two. But the beauty of an 8x10 tarp is that you really don't have – most of the ground underneath there, you don't want it covered. You just want it to be the earth, you know, like so you can keep your shoes on, which is great. You can um, you can pour your – you know, you can pour things out just in your tent basically whether it's yep. you can cook right you, you can, can cook in it no problem um you can also if it's pouring rain no, I know you, know, you can sit no no no. i was just gonna say you can set <laughs> oh. it up and in the morning like if it's still pouring rain you can completely pack up underneath you your can. tarp yep and it, then get out and in a really desperate situation like my friend laundromat had on the pct in 04 if it's pouring rain in the middle of the night, you need to take a deuce. You can actually <laughs> also dig a cat no, hole. Well, if you we're gonna go, if we're hole. gonna go there, if we're gonna go there, we're going it, there. The right? way I threw hunt, like I was talking about, and I, I use a tarp because there's no bugs in September. Yeah, 
you know, and, and you're moving camp every. So basically, you wake up in the morning. If you have to go, I mean, you can just go. Departure poo. You can just do a departure poo under the tarp while it's raining or whatever and just bury it right there because you're leaving anyway. So that's that's kind of beautiful thing. Yeah, Yeah. you probably didn't want to know that. That was well. He went there. Yeah, I thought, yeah it's well, fine. We go there. Well, it's, I, it's the true benefit. I yeah. mean, a- having pooped in the rain more than once. <laughs> oh, it's so awful. It, it's much nicer to poop with the shelter over oh, your head totally. in the rain. The bummer is if you're sharing, and then you're like, "Hey, you gotta, oh. you gotta sit up for a second because I gotta roll up the the bottom of the, the ground sheet here so I can take a dump, <laughs> and then we can go back to sleep." Yeah. So, sorry about that. What about if you have a Doritos bag? Um, oh. <laughs> okay, no, we can't. We, we can't talk about that. We should probably. So how, he wants to know about freestanding. I think that's a point that a lot of people oh, yeah. just freestanding versus not. Because to me, that was a big deal. Even my tarp's not freestanding, and my Henry Shire's not freestanding. And I thought that was a huge. Like I'm like, there's no way on God's earth that I could ever not have a freestanding tent. And I realized that it's not that big a deal. Like yeah. you have, you'll have eventually you'll find a place to put your tent up. Yeah, you know. It's, yeah, I think there's only a few situations where you can't like, uh, and a lot of that has to do with like town and camp, like campgrounds where they have like hard packed earth or tent pads, gravel tent pads. Those are the worst. But yeah. um, you know, when I was on the Sierra High Ride, we set up in some really rocky conditions where you could not get a stake in, but there's enough rocks around that you could try to make it work. Yeah. You know, you just, you know, are, use the stick and then the rocks. Are there any good resources that one can go to to find out how to set up tarps in different situations? Oh, gosh. I bet YouTube is a... Well, tarp yeah. tents. Don't they have videos yeah. for all of their yeah, setups? Yeah, but, but those those are fully enclosed tents. Those aren't really tarps. They don't the, have any tarps? Straight up tarps? What about I, Gossamer Gear? Do they have any videos they, for the tarps? They do. Yep. They probably do. Yeah, GossamerGear.com. They have a, a tarp called the... the Oh, I don't know. It used to be called the Spin Twin. Now I think it's called the C Twin. I don't know. But they have set up videos. But I would just say YouTube has a wealth of videos on how to set up tarps in any kind of conditions. And I will just add a little plug for the freestanding, uh, for the for the not freestanding tent. The freestanding tent um, has, I think, a limited functionality when it comes to windy conditions and difficult setups. Whereas with a non-freestanding tent where you're using your trekking poles, there's a lot of adjusting that you can do for difficult setups. You know, you can make the front part shorter, like the string, the guy out, and like the the side guy outs. You can shorten and lengthen them. And I feel like you can do a lot more adjusting to get the pitch just right for the situation. And I think it's a little more limiting with the freestanding tents. That's been my experience anyway. Cool. We had one more question. Yes. I received a letter from not sure. The question is, my boyfriend of five years and I love the outdoors and are fans of the trail show. We would love to hike a long distance trail. However, last time we went backpacking, I ended up in tears and he ended up in the bottom of a Jack Daniels bottle. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yikes. We've since worked through that and are now considering quitting our jobs to hike the CDT this summer. Knowing that I am somewhat scarred from that previous experience, what advice can you give a couple for getting along on the trail? 
Oh. Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Renew your subscription to Backpacker Magazine stay home. and just stay at home. No. Yeah. No, no, well, no, not sure. I would or the say that you already know what problems you have on the trail. That that last hike made it evident. And so I would talk about your next trail beforehand and try to figure out if you can find a middle ground that you can both, one of you relax on walking faster, one of you relax on how long your breaks are, whatever the problems are in your incompatibilities on the trail. Um, if that does not work, um, what we're going to, Tony and I did in our very early days of traveling together, this was actually bike touring, um, we had such different styles in the beginning that we instituted the captain system. So each of us would take turns every day being captain. And so when I was captain... We would call each other Cappy. Cappy. <laughs> hey, Cappy. Yeah? Is it lunchtime yet? Um, so Cappy makes all the decisions for the day. Because really, I mean, whether it's a bike tour or a through hike, there are so many little decisions to make every day. It's like, when are you going to break? When are you going to have lunch? Where are you going to stay? Are you going to the shelter? Are you going to camp away from the shelter? Just just a multitude yeah, of true. decisions. And with the way we figured it out, we don't do it anymore, but we just figured out, man, it, it, it was kind of relieving for one person to not have to make any decisions. It's like, oh, okay, this is where we're having lunch. Oh, okay, we're going to go swimming here, I guess. You know, uh, so that that worked out, and it got us through a lot of you know otherwise tough patches. I think. Yeah, and I think as Cappy, you tend to worry about the other person a little bit more because you're thinking, how can I be a good Cappy? Because tomorrow, they're captain and they're right. making and the they're decisions. They're going to give it so. to me if I'm mean to them today. Today, right? And so you kind of want to plan like a really awesome day for the two of you. So after a while. Uh, we found we didn't need the system anymore, that we understood each other enough, and um, we just didn't have to do that. But it helped us get through that struggle that any any partners on a trail would have, friends or couple, um, adjusting styles. Yeah. And I think... One, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, you know, Disco and I, we did the CDT as our first through-hike, and... Uh, Bad idea. It's a miracle that we're still here together today, that I didn't murder him. But um, anyway, no, just kidding. It was rough, though. Seriously. Yeah, it was, it was tough. <laughs> You'll read about it Watch in the next the book. My God. Anyway, um, but I, I would say that, that one of the things that was missing for us when we did our first through hike was communication, you know, and... You know, it, that's always something that that we struggle with, with all of our relationships, I think, is um, being able to really express yourself in uh, a way that is not attacking the other person and, um, and, and, and being able to honestly say all of the things that you're feeling. And I think as the receiver of those comments, also to be able to receive those, that information and not go on the defensive and, and to be able to think through it. And, you know, we, we had a lot of communication issues and we didn't really figure any of that stuff out until post-trail. But I will say that I think one of the things that you should really discuss as a couple is, is go back to those fights that you had. Really go back and relive them together mm-hmm. and talk about exactly what happened and what were the antecedents, what was going on beforehand, 
was I stressed out before the thing happened that caused the fight? You know, were you having a bad day? And really consider all of those pieces so that when, because the thing is, is that you can come up with the CAPI system or whatever, but you're still going to face adversity. There's still going to be things that come up that put you in a compromised situation where you're not going to be your best self. And that's when things can get ugly or out of hand mm-hmm. or mean. And, and I think talking about those types of things, what types of things set you off, what types of things set me off, and really making a pact to be nice and trying to be kind to each other when the it's the fan is, is important. An example of an adverse situation is when you're on the CDT in Montana and your trail goes down into a, a meadow and the trail disappears and it's 94 degrees with 90% humidity and the bugs are the worst you've seen in three days yeah. and you don't know where the trail is because it disappeared and you're standing in the sun and there's no shade in sight. Yeah. And then you have to be your best self to your partner. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and I which know. is impossible. I know. It's impossible to be your best self when you're oh, when yeah. you're completely miserable. Mm-hmm. And then I think it goes both ways for, for both the person who's feeling really stressed out and then the other person to try who's whoever gets, you know, has the freak out first, for the other person to also say, like, okay, there's a lot going on here. I'm not gonna I'm also not going to react with fire. I'm just going to be like, mm-hmm. we're having a freak out. Fire. Let's just get through this moment and get back to some normalcy, you know? So, but I do think that as couples, you, you really have to, you really have to take a deep dive and, and talk about the things that are going to set you off and, and really make a pact to try to be kind to each other mm-hmm. when you're not feeling like you want to be kind to each other and, and just take the best stab at it, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, you you set out on these journeys because you want to have a whole bunch of fun. You yes. you build it up, and suddenly reality sits sets in, like that yeah. moment you describe in Montana. <laughs> yes, and there's actually a lot of duress, and so compound that with having to be with someone else that maybe you aren't good with communicating, you know, or maybe you are, maybe you aren't. So you're going to have rough patches, but if you get through those, you really come out on the other end of Mm -hmm. finding something deep and wonderful in yourself and each other. And I would also just to play the devil's advocate too, I would say that there's also people that you're just not compatible with and that's a possibility and you got to recognize that too, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Which is a good reason to do a through hike because... (laughs) You know, if you weren't really meant to be together, boy, this will put the kibosh on it yeah. really fast. It'll yeah. clear things You know, up. instead of like 10, 15 years of misery, get it over with in three Six or four months, months <laughs> yeah. and uh, move on. Yep. Wasn't meant to be. And you know, Disco and I, when we finished the CDT, you know, we were going through some some rough patches there. And we made it through, and then I was going to go yeah. do the PCT by myself because I didn't want to relive a lot of the things that happened on the CDT. And I told him, like, I just, I'm afraid that if we go out together again, we're just going to have these fights and it's going to be, and, you know, we're going to... And this speaks to the question that the listener yeah. asked. I mean, yeah. Not sure. Yeah. yeah and, and, and I was just like, I don't want to do that same thing again. And Disco said, you know, you and I both love long distance hiking more than anything else. And if you, we can't share that experience, then we probably shouldn't be together. So we got to give it another try. And, and and we had a great time on the PCT. Now, granted, the PCT 
does not have as many uh, terrible situations as the CBT did. <laughs> and we were, we had been together longer. So we had, and we had, you know, had to go back through and revisit some of the stuff on the CBT and talk about like, why did that happen? You know? Mm-hmm. So we were more experienced in our relationship and as hikers when we got to the PCT. So that helps too. But mm-hmm. a lot of it had to do with communication, you know? Yeah. Well, and some of it had to do with standing in shadeless meadows when it was 95 degrees and we were being swarmed by every mosquito within a five-mile radius. We were trying to be our best selves. Yeah. You had a great motto on the CDT. Wasn't, well, didn't you have something like, (laughs) if it's all, it's it's something. The pain index? It was like the pain index. That was buck 30s. Yeah. There's six things. Yeah. So Buck Thirty. They, all the bad things happen at once on the yes. CDT. Oh, something like that. No, yeah. that's a saying if that our friend Mary thing, told it's us. Another. Oh, our friend Mary told us. Maybe this is something completely different, but it's great. There's an expression from it's, Holland. Yes. She has a friend from Holland who tells us. You know how we have this expression when it rains, it pours. Their expression is the devil in one pile. Wow. <laughs> Which I think is so, awesome. I, I, I think that applies to our experience in Montana on the CDT, at least in 2006, because yeah, it was a compounding. It, it wasn't just like you're oh. standing in a meadow and the trail's gone. It was you're standing in a meadow, the trail's gone. It's 95 degrees. You're you're being eaten alive by mosquitoes, and you're probably hungry also. And <laughs> well, I just remember you saying <laughs> on the AT you might have rain or humidity. Yeah. Or yeah. on yeah, the yeah. PCT, you might have yeah. intense dry heat. But I remember you saying about the CDT, like it was all everything, the, everything that oh, you yeah. could have go wrong can go wrong and at, at the same once. time. And, yeah. and yeah. circling back to the question, I would also submit that no one's going to be perfect. And I do believe that you also have to give your partner... Um, some cut your partner some slack that they're going to try to be the best their best selves and sometimes they're they're going to fail they're going to fail you know yeah. and and that i mean that was true for both of us you know on yeah. CDT and you also have to just not take that personally and be like okay apologize right we're going to apologize to each other and we're actually going to let it go we're going to apologize also, and move on but if it's them failing every single time mm, maybe you know right yeah yeah, yeah. You but can only let it you, go so many times. Right. I have a just a practical advice for couples is, one, I think mostly you should hike together, you know, because you can hike separately or you can hike together. I, yeah. would say, I would say hiking together is the way to go. And the way to do that is you have to wait for the other person to go to the bathroom. You know yeah. what I mean? Because that's when people split up is when, you know, the person needs to go off into the woods for – 10 minutes or whatever and the other person I would just say you know there's those moments are going to happen every and you just wait yeah because I would agree with that even with guys when I've been hiking with guys or whatever that's when you split up it's when the one person's got to go do their 10 15 minute thing and the other person's like all right I'll just meet you you know at lunch and it's just like you know if you're gonna hike together you just wait together as well yeah I, and I, it, even if you're hiking together too, it doesn't mean you have to be talking the whole time. You know, you can yeah. still be in your separate worlds, yeah. but you know. And I would also say that said, there were times I remember Angel Hair and I hiking, and and I think I particularly was probably in, you know, a bad space or whatever. And we chose to just hike apart that day. That wasn't our normal mo, but that day it worked for us to be like, why don't you? I didn't. I think because I didn't want to get up early, and she did. And I'm like, well, why don't you just start, and I'll 
take yeah. the tent down and I'll catch up because I want to sleep for two more hours. So, um, <laughs> so I would sleep for, I slept for two more hours that day and then I, you know, caught up later on in the afternoon and, and that worked for us that day. It wasn't our normal thing, but you know, every now and then I think it's okay also to do a whole day alone because, yeah. Um, sometimes you need, I mean, it's a long six months out there, four months yeah. or whatever you're doing. Yeah, so it is. Well, you know, shake it up a little bit. So PUD and I took separate breaks one day on the PCT <laughs> and I felt, I felt like it ruined the whole day. No, like, it was funny. Because, no, but, but we, we did it in the morning and then we were out of sync for the rest of the day. No, we weren't. Cause typically we took the rest of our breaks together. We did, but we had to have a discussion about it we because did. <laughs> you, if you take separate breaks, then you need to take your next break at a different time, and everything gets thrown off. The whole space time continuum gets like <laughs> twisted around, and and it, it was horrible. It was probably my worst day on the PCT. I don't know, Beauty. It wasn't my worst day on the PCT, but um, yeah, because what happened was like Disco eats more than I do, right during during what? the course of a day. And what? I, because I have the, the metabolism of a sloth, I can go much longer between snack breaks. And so, and I'm slower, so I try to go longer. So what happened was it had been an hour and a half. And I'm like, no, nah, you got to go at least two hours before you get a break. It's like my little rule. So he was like, let's have a snack break. And I was like, I'm not ready for a break. And so I kept hiking. And as soon as, and I, because I felt like, well, if I have a snack every hour and a half, I'll run out of snacks by two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I won't have any more snacks and then I'll be hungry. You know, I was going down that rabbit hole. So I kept going. And as soon as I like left, I was like, oh no, this is a bad decision. <laughs> now we're separate. And so I hiked. And we're on separate break schedules. So then I hiked another 30 minutes. <laughs> the whole day is ruined. <laughs> I hiked another 30 minutes. And then I sat down. And I waited, and he came up behind me, like, you know, five or ten minutes later, because he had, and he walked by, and he was like, now we're on separate breaks all day. Nice job. The day's ruined. (laughs) Well, and now I eat better and more filling snacks, so I don't need to eat every hour and a half. Yeah, that's true. So so the world, everything's good again. There's just actual differences. Like, Rigatoni wants to sleep every break we take. And so, you know, what I mean, it seems like <laughs> oh just a, a long, little nap. It, it seems like a long time for the person that's yeah. not asleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I like to complete so many miles uh-huh. because I have it all down in my head that we have to go this far before, you know, per day so that our food lasts. So I'm always calculating in my head how far we have to go and those kinds of things. And he's more relaxed in that aspect. He could, he just doesn't worry about that, I guess, because I do. Um, so it doesn't make either one of us right. Of course. Is the thing. Of course. You know, yeah. my style yeah. isn't right or, or Rigatoni's style isn't right. And guaranteed, if we hike separately, we would hike differently. But we're hiking together, so it's just that middle ground of, you know, it's okay to take a nap, you know, but maybe I'll throw a pebble at him after five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> you know? Well, and I know special, when he talked about his 14ers through hike, you know, he hiked with a friend of his, and they had come to an agreement before the hike started that they would always make the, the more conservative choice. So if one of them was wanting to stop early, they would stop early. If one of them wasn't ready to go up the peak that day because of exhaustion, 
they didn't go up to peak that day. You know, and like, that's great communication. Yes. That's and so they knowing just, yeah, they decided early on, like any, any one of us to say, like, I can't do five more miles. And the other person would say, okay, let's stop here without like, come on, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And when you need to do it when you're doing something like that, you know, cause it's easier to stop for somebody who wants to go further than for somebody who wants to stop to go further. To go further. Yeah, right. totally. Yeah. Well, thank you for writing in, Not Sure. Yeah, yeah, that was a great question. Hopefully the luck. goes well. And Good the luck, Jack yes. Daniels is celebratory on trail and not yeah. drowning sorrows. Yeah, and write the show and let us know if yes. you, your relationship survives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be nice to have a post-trail uh, update. Uh, for media review this month, you know, last month we mentioned Foot Stuff Podcast. And this month we're sticking with the theme of podcasts. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Cascade Hiker podcast, which we've talked about on the show um, a number of times. It's Rudy Getzik. He does the Cascade Hiker podcast. You can find it at CascadeHikerPodcast.com or anywhere you get your podcast. Download your podcast. Rudy's based out of Washington State. I, I would submit that like some of the shows are Pacific Northwest based, but he interviews folks from all over the U.S. Yeah, he does. Um, He's had Zoner on a number of mm-hmm. times, and those those are always great episodes to listen to. Uh, if you haven't checked out Rudy's podcast, I would recommend. Uh, there's a couple of episodes you might want to check out. Of course, the Zoner episodes. POD was interviewed on episode 79, and oddly enough, I was uh, interviewed on episode 94. So if you're a trail show listener and you want some, some other podcast, some pro- crossover, check out those episodes P.O.D., is there anything else I should add? Yeah. You met, I've actually never met Rudy. You've met Rudy. I've met Rudy a couple of times. He's awesome. He's 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 like the big giant of the room with the gentle presence. It's kind of nice. I really like him. Um, I actually asked him for some information, and he told me he has 133 regular interview episodes and nice. 30 bonus shows. And I asked him specifically if there were some really interesting or memorable um Episodes, and he said episode 100, he sat down with his parents, um, and then he, most of his episodes are about hiking, but he did one about family history. Um, He said he also loves sitting down with his daughters on episode 123, talking with them about their section hike in the Goat Rocks. Yeah. Um, Also, I thought this one was good. Episode 82, he sat down with Shannon Shannon Cunningham Leader, a leader, I think is her trail name, maybe, I don't know. Uh, she was rescued from the trail and told her story without embarrassment. Mm. And he said, I think all hikers on all levels are curious about this process, as well as putting themselves in the shoes of those that have been rescued. Because mm. there is some shame around being rescued in the hiking community, like this German through hiker. But I think that there are, I mean, there's situations where it's n- not user error. Yeah. You know, or even you can make mistakes in the backcountry and, and things happen. And I think it is great that, I mean... You know, people need to be rescued. That's why we have search and rescue. So, um, said he's hoping to f- to feature D'Lo special and P Mags at some point in the future. Nice. Um, I didn't know that. That's cool. And he said he just set a time to ch- to chat with a mom who started backpacking with her four kids, um, and the youngest is blind. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. So um, there's that, and then uh, also he's done a couple of live shows. Yeah. Two, and he said they sold out, and he um, donates the money to a um, nonprofit hiking organization. So 
He's doing a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. So I dig Cascade Hiker Podcast. If you yep. haven't listened to it, check it out. Yep. Very good. All right. Let's uh let's get into our tent steak situation, but first let's rock out. Very good, Tony. Get up and dance. Here we go. Uh, 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 all right, uh. all right. So we got a great uh, tent steak tip from our buddy Skittles this month. Ooh, who's been taste uh, the rainbow? Can we um, guess what it is before we hear it? Yeah, you're never going to guess this one, but but it, it, go ahead. It says alternate uses for tent steaks. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. Could I days? say as a poop trowel? No, he usually does. He's a shoe digger. You know what? With certain types, like the sand steaks, that would absolutely... Or yeah. the snow steaks. I mean, steaks, a good steak, you, that could, would you could dig work. a pretty good hole with a good steak. But you have to think about Skittles, and what would Skittles okay, use so a that was my guess steak for? for alternate use. You so would use it for... Hmm. You also will never guess what this is, P.O.D. But you should try. A I marshmallow love- toaster. Oh. A pot handle. Self-defense. How about a little... Um, yeah. I don't know. A f- spoon? <gasps> Ooh. No. No. A skewer? How, how about a walkie-talkie antenna? <laughs> oh! Let me read this letter I got from wow. Skittles. Skittles wrote, he said, I lost the antenna to one of our U.S. Service for, or US Forest Service work radios. And we used a tent stake held to the antenna hole in order to hit a repeater. It worked like a charm and much cheaper than buying a new antenna. Wow. We looked a little odd holding the tent stake with one hand and the radio button with the other, but it worked. This sounds like a rigatoni fix, if yeah. I've ever heard of one. And talk about a cheap fix. Like Genius. Those Bendix King radios that the Forest Service folks use, those are like eight $900 a pop. I don't Whoa. know what the antennas are, but I bet they're in the... I bet they're close to a hundred bucks. Just guessing, they're like everything's way overpriced with that stuff. So being able to use a tent stake, which you're already yeah. carrying anyway, that's gold. Jerry. And the the radio, gold. they should make a tent stake that can screw into that hole because then you you know multi-purpose. <laughs> but then the the radio people would lose money, and that would True. be terrible, right? True. It would be terrible. That's the alternative right. that is awesome, gear Skittles. review on that it, for tents. I'm just surprised how few people know that you can just use twigs for tent stakes. Oh, we, yeah, we've already gone down that. We've, yeah, I'm just surprised no, 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 that when I show people that I'm, they're, they're, they don't, you know, like they might have lost a stake or something, and I'll just break a piece of twig off, and I'll be like, well, just hammer this in. This will work just as good. Yeah, anyway, go cool. as you were. I mean, as long as it's a sturdy twig. Yeah. you get a sturdy one. Now, if it's a if it's a rotten one, that, you know that that's that's a whole other ball of wax. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice one, Skittles. Uh, all right, thank you, Skittles. We're coming in for Wait, the close. Wait, where's the techno music? I want a little more. Oh, outro. you want to rock out? Some little outro tent stake music. Antennas, <laughs> radios, tent stakes. Let's rock out. <laughs> all right, we're coming in for the oh. close. This is the part of the show where we end the show. Why does a through hiker have a walkie talkie anyway? No, he's doing trail maintenance for the Forest Service. Yeah, as a seasonal employee. Is that not another uh, podcast? Uh, It probably is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I bet there's some hikers out there that that carry. Maybe some couples that don't hike together. 
Yeah. Uh, where are you? What break schedule are you on? I <laughs> 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 mean, a Snicker bar right now. Oh, man. All You're right. We're in the whole snack schedule. Thanks oh. to everybody yeah, for tuning true. in today. Big thanks goes to Julie Nania, Nania of the High Country Conservation Advocates here in Crested Butte. HCCA. Join HCCA today at www.hccacb.org. Boy. Yeah. All right. Big thanks goes to Craig. Bow! Goes to Craig Pisco Gully for schooling us on TGO Challenge. Thanks goes to the Noodleheads for taking over Ask a Hiker tonight. Mm -hmm. And to Mac G for handling trail news. And to Salty (laughs) for (laughs) answering all our nutrition related questions. A large thanks to Trailshed Nation for providing tonight's beer from High Alpine Brewing here in. Neighboring Gunnison, Colorado. Bop. Bop. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> thanks and praise to. <laughs> I don't even know why this is funny. Uh, thanks and praise to all our monthly PayPal donors. Get yourself a koozie and some new ice cold trail show stickers. But a pop. Pop. And bop. also, don't forget, folks, from November 13th through the 26th. Trail show shirts will be on sale at bonfire.com slash the trail show. Get your trail show shirt. Buy a hundred. Put them on eBay. Buy a hundred. You can always find us at thetrailshow.com, on Twitter at Trail Show, on Instagram and Facebook at The Trail Show, on the Stitcher app, Apple Podcast app, Google Play, and of course on iTunes. Another trail show is coming gone, but don't fret. We'll be back next month in our South Boulder studios with more. For our Christmas episode. Oh. Maybe we'll have some Christmas in a cup. Until then, for the Princes of Darkness, MacGyver, Salty, the Noodleheads, D'Lo, Special 41, Triple O, I'm Disco. Ciao. Boy, a Hey, we should do a win a date with MacGyver. Yeah, oh. you know you could have Jeff Jeff Sessions as your next guest. I hear he's free. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some free time, huh? Well, he's a little keeper elf. It's Christmas time, you know. Yeah, and he's may- actually probably busy. Maybe we could have Ryan Zink too, depending on how that plays out. They could. Uh, maybe yeah, he. Maybe, maybe they'll start hiking together. Jeff Sessions could come and make us some Christmas cookies. Christmas in a cup. <laughs> With his little elf, his little elf hands and his little elf ears. You should do double up with God, boys. Double up. I, I think the Noodleheads should do double up. They originated double up. Double up. Double up. Double up. Double up. Double up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, God. That's yeah. true. Okay. Bye. Bye, everybody. See you next month. <laughs> for Christmas. For your birthday. Buy a trail show t-shirt. Uh. <laughs> All right. Trail show's over. Got out. Got out. <laughs> These midges are bitches. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that is one good thing about down is when you do get it wet, you can fit more into your pack. <laughs> this is pure energy. Long time listener, first time caller. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Gib da jemand?
You got the itis, son? How's it going over there, man? What happens if you're talking to... I really like that Wu-Tang shirt you're wearing there, Mac G. How do you like my Wu-Tang style? Wu-Tang forever. Where's the blah blah? Sorry.